1: Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states your rate could increase with high-risk driving, generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in Union banner we won't be satisfied until we hang another banner us two goofy guys go by names of ward and eric and as you probably know by now well who's your hysterics who's your hysterics, who's your hysterics?
2: hello ward eric how are you friend i am good i am uh, i'm good there's nothing to really be upset about you know it's a weird feeling i'm looking for something to be upset about I mean, I still got three kids, so there is that. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, i I have two, so I only imagine that your aggravation is thirty
2: three percent greater than mine, yeah, but uh, you know, I got dog Cheney somewhere over here, he's right behind me laying down. He's good. He's not uh, making any weird barfing noises right now. No, not yet, not yet, but one can hope. um you know, I man, that not it's been a weird week because not a lot has happened. You know, we got the Michael Durr commitment happened last week. That's what I was thinking. We
1: didn't really get in. We got into it a bit with Rabbi, but not not really ourselves and just like this is this is who we are now. We just like, "Oh, um we need some big man depth." Okay, we lost Joey, um and instead of hand-ringing that would have uh, then pro- I guess post-seeded, is that I mean, I'm just, I'm just swapping out pre for post. Sure, go ahead. Sure. You know what I mean. I do. That's really what we're talking hey, about you're
2: here. You're the one kicking your own ass on this one. I'm just letting it go. You wouldn't
1: have, though. I, I had to say something before you did.
2: i like to keep you on your toes. Maybe sometimes I'll just let it go by.
1: My calves should be getting bigger for how on my toes I have to be with you. But they're not. <laughs> they're still bird legs. Um, but look, and this just goes to what we've, we've said in the whole wonderful Woody era, instead of wringing our hands about, Oh, who are we going to get to replace this guy? Or, Oh, next year, like we're definitely going to need more of X, Y, or Z. Now it's just like, eh, make a couple phone calls and somebody shows up. Who's probably better than who we had. It's really cool. And with Dur, you know, I haven't watched much footage of him but I I do think he's an upgrade over what Joey would have been if Joey even could have played.
2: Well, and I think that's the key. I think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk online and message boards and Twitter about, like, why didn't we just keep Joey if we were going to replace him with a back-to-the-basket seven-footer? Well, first of all, seven feet is different than 6'10". I mean, let's just say that. It is. I mean, those extra two inches when you're at the bucket, those matter. Uh, He's huge. I mean, he is huge. Joey was a big dude too. This guy's bigger. He does from the clips I've seen, he does seem to have a little bit more of a fluid game than Joey did. He does seem to step out a little bit and have the ability to knock down a 10 foot, you know, baseline mid range shot. I don't know how much he's going to be asked to do that. I would imagine not much right? on who the makeup of the team is. But I think to your point, I I do think the staff was concerned about taking a risk on Joey's back. And if there's anybody who understands how precarious back surgeries and back injuries can be, it's Mike Woodson. And Mike Woodson was able to come back from his very quickly, Joey was not. You know, Joey tried and it wasn't gonna happen and then had to have another procedure. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's correct. He had one procedure and I believe another one and I think they were just scared. They're like, we want to win. We want to win now. If we're going to have a scholarship for anybody, you know, on this team next year, we have to have the sense that they can really help us this coming year. And I think they just thought we're a little worried about that. And I get it. I get it. I love Joey. You know, I, Joey didn't do anything wrong and and I hope he gets an opportunity at Ohio state. Although I hope it doesn't come against us. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah. But and and it also goes to our new outside win philosophy it's that's right it's not like hey who's nearby who's a who's a local kid we can tap to come in when we're banging with some bigs in the big 10 uh it's like who who in the country is available right now and have whoever's from that part of the country on our staff and if i i, I recall yasir has had a long standing relationship with them oh,
2: I didn't know that i didn't know that
1: or, or I, I believe because they're both they're both from Atlanta. Atlanta right. Yeah. yeah. So that's where that came from. And it's just like, oh, um, yeah, we, we got that covered. And again, in short order, you know, and I know it's different. Over 1600 people have been in the transfer portal this season. So it is unique in that sense. But we're clearly effective at getting the kinds of players we need to plug the holes, the significant holes that were left by
2: the last regime. Look, you've got a front court now of Trace, Race, Michael Durr, and Logan Duncombe. If nothing else, Michael Durr gives somebody for Logan Duncombe to bang against in practice and skill development as he tries to develop his body and his game for this level. So that's awesome. Yep. You've got Miller Kopp and Jordan Geronimo in that, like, you know, modern four role, you know, size that can shoot, you know, Jordan Geronimo not a bad shooter and that seems to be a skill that he could truly develop, but you've got that. Then you've got, you know, Tamar Bates and Xavier Johnson and Rob Finnessy and Christian Lander and Anthony Leal and Trey Galloway at that guard position. Oh, and I'm sorry, uh, put Parker Stewart there kind of in that big man shooter. Um, I think that I just named everybody. On paper, it's nice. I mean, it's real nice. And it does seem like anybody you pick could help you this year in some capacity. And the thing I am most excited about, at least on paper, and we know it won't play out this way, there will be injuries, there will be things that happen. But the last four years, and even the year before, and a lot of Creams years, we were asking people to do things that they shouldn't be asked to do. And that exposed them in a way that hurt the overall team. You've got players now where you don't have to ask people to do things they're not comfortable doing. Trey Galloway doesn't have to come and start and play 30 minutes a game for a while and be a a three-point shooter. Like, he doesn't need to do that on this team. And I think that's the key. It's like, we've got guys now who if they just do the thing that they are meant to do and the thing that they are best at, we have a really good team. So I'm excited I, for that.
1: I've kept thinking about the analogy we heard about Coach Knight putting a car together. Yeah, and you need all the different pieces of the car to make it run. And I, I, I hadn't thought of that until maybe a week or two ago, where I'm like, oh, that's what what, what he's doing. And we don't know exactly the the shape, the size of his car, the make or the model. Uh, I think it's gonna be pretty sweet i think it's gonna, it's gonna be, a be a navigator it's gonna be a nice ride
2: or an escalate yeah you know uh with, with some sort of turbo charge who who do you think the steering wheel is let's do let's do parts well
1: okay if i i would have to say xavier at this point
2: i'm with you i'm with you uh bumper i think the bumper is like michael Durr and race okay. thompson
1: i was gonna say
2: race because obviously yeah, we're bumper, more both of them with, Front bumper, race, back bumper, Michael Durr. Yeah. Uh, engine, I think that's Trace. Gotta be. Gotta right? be. Right? Yep. Uh, headlights. I'm going to Mar Bates. They're like bright. That. They're shiny. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they're one of the first things you notice. They're kind of flashy. You can make them look cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I want to say who's, uh, who's the stereo system? Do we do we know of a a like musically inclined Ooh. member because I don't know is Johnny Jager still around? I mean, I know he's not on the team. I'm not
2: sure if he's still part of the staff or not. We should the, find out. I don't know, know he, if he is.
1: He had the voice of an angel, but you know, who's the Vic? Who's the one who's always going around singing?
2: Yeah, it's like who's to 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 use the same analogy, it's kind of like who's the trim level on the interior? Like who's the personality, you know? Yeah. I do think that, I do think you're going to get a lot of that with Tamar. I do think like he's, I mean, I know I gave him the headlights, but I think he's got a ton of personality. You know who I think the sunroof is? Who you got? Christian Lander. Yeah. Sunroofs are cool. And sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. But also like the thing with the sunroof is for many people, they just forget about it sometimes. You just kind of forget about it and take it for granted. But then- Like it's a hot day or you're smoking a fat cigar or something else. And you want the smoke to leave the car. You need that sunroof. You need it. Christian could really be extremely important on this team. We want, we want Woody to open it up, open up the sunroof. Yeah. How annoying do you think this game is for the people listening to it?
1: I mean, I'm reaching my limit.
2: Yeah. Let's move on. (laughs) I did in this, in this little game, I thought of something to be upset about. Okay. Okay. So Jerome Hunter transfers, leaving room for Michael Durr. And I've seen, you know, I know it's the trendy thing to go out there and wish people well and like, oh, you know, we're such fans when people leave. And I believe that for many people. I believe that for Armand. I think Armand gave his all for two years and I wish he would have stayed, but he didn't want to. So, you know, go ahead. Um, Joey Brunk, I feel no, you know, Uh, bad feelings for at all, like he wasn't going to get the opportunity that he wanted to have in his last year of college basketball, so go play somewhere else. But with Jerome, I got to tell you, I feel a little different, because, Yeah. yeah, because, look, I feel terrible for Jerome with what happened with his leg condition. That is not his fault, and that sapped him of at least one full year, and maybe a year and a half, till he really rounded into form, at the end of the previous season where he started hitting shots and we, we got some glimpses. But then it's debatable if he ever did or will recover his full athleticism. True, and I, and I feel terrible for him on that. But yeah. that's not what bothers me. What bothers me is we've heard enough behind the scenes that Jerome wasn't giving it his all. Yeah. That Jerome wasn't focused on the right things. And if Jerome Hunter, a six foot seven wing player, who is supposed to be a knockdown shooter who could get his shot whenever he wants. If he was good enough, he'd still be on this team unless the coaching staff felt like something else is going on here. And I don't want to, um, you know, theorize about what that is. There's been a lot of rumors about it, but for whatever reason, the staff didn't feel that Jerome was as committed to being the best version of Jerome that he could be for Indiana university. And so like, good riddance is kind of how I feel and everybody falling over themselves to be like the big Jerome Hunter fan. Now I'm sorry. I I just don't, I don't have that feeling. I'm not going to lie about it. I don't wish the kid ill, but it bothers me. Anybody who you've said this so many times recently, there are only in any given year, 13 people on the planet who get an IU scholarship or have the ability to get an IU scholarship. Sometimes we don't even give 13.
3: Mm -hmm. There's
2: only 13 max. If you are given that, you do have to live up to your end of the bargain. And your end of the bargain is that playing for Indiana is meaningful. And it is meaningful in a way where you have to dedicate yourself as much as is possible for you to do. And most have over the years, and some haven't. And the ones that haven't, it bothers me because I think it's disrespectful to the people that do, your teammates. And I think it's disrespectful to the people that wore that jersey before. And that's what bothers me is that I just don't get the sense from talking to enough people that Jerome was that guy. And I don't wish him ill, but, but I also don't have warm feelings for him leaving. I, I'm
1: indifferent. Um, I think the purpose it serves is significant though, as Woody letting everybody else on that team know, setting the culture up to be like, you, you, you got to come in here and give it the same amount of effort I did when I was a player And as what I'm going to put into it as a coach, and the same way we really lamented benching players not being utilized enough um, over over quite a few seasons, really, but particularly in Archie's reign, it's like, no, let's send a warning shot. Let's let these guys know you got to be all the way in doesn't mean you can't have a good time in fact you're going to have a better time if you do that because we're going to be winning a bunch too um so I'm good with a lesson like that being uh presented to the rest of the team before they even really get into practices with coach
2: Woodson uh I want to bring up something that we did last week that we will do again today okay all of you listening at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, the 25th of May, which is today, mm-hmm. we will jump on Twitter spaces for a bit of a roundtable about the episode that we're going to release today. Uh, last week, we had a lot of guest speakers come on and a lot of special guest stars. I don't, I cannot promise that that will happen this time, but if nothing else, it's a really good time. Uh, we'll probably have one or two special guests, but... If nothing else, it's a great time for us as an IU community who have been starving for that community for the better part of the last 15 months to just kind of get together and take some questions, get some comments and just chat about the episode that we released this week and anything else you wanna discuss in the world of Indiana University. All you have to do is go to Twitter. If you follow us, you'll see an icon at the top of your um, app that shows that we are live. You just click on it and you join. If you don't follow us, follow us at Hoosier hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I, but okay. the sometimes, sometimes Y.
1: And come in hot. Come in hot with your opinions, with your questions, uh, because you hear us talk
2: enough, more yeah, than hot enough. Take Tuesday. Hot Take Tuesday, right?
1: Yeah, Hot Take Tuesday. Please, we want to hear your voices, your opinions, what you think, what you have to say about the state of the program. Obviously, it's just going to be wonderful wonderful opinions at this point you know maybe as the the season or the seasons progress it will get more contentious but it's just wonderful to put voices with twitter handles and pigs usernames and really realize oh this is a uh, a uh, uh, a a community that exists in the real world hey we'll be reunited in bloomington soon enough but this has been the best way we found so far to have real life human interaction
2: so please participate in it it's also amazing that twitter spaces has been so successful because to the best of my knowledge unlike our podcast they are not
1: powered by
2: I never get tired of hearing it. I don't. I love it. I absolutely, I need to figure out a way to make it my ringtone. Remember when ringtones were a big deal? Well, I just
1: finally figured out how to download and use the ringtone from Impractical Jokers. (laughs) It's where (laughs) Sal is in like the seminar and they keep calling his phone. Whose phone is ringing? (laughs) Mine, mine never fails to make me happy. But what I'd like to use The SNC peak siren call for is my alarm in the morning. Oh, that's good. To that, how great would your day start if that's the first thing you heard? I don't need I don't use an alarm. I just wake up. That's because
2: you're crazy. Yeah, no, that's fair. (laughs) I'm so crazy that one week from today, one week from today, Ward, seven days away, is June first, which means the campaign for trustee at Indiana University, the election will go live. Yeah, the cam- the
1: we'll cam- do it live. The campaign's been on,
2: this is the election. The election is upon us. I, uh, I did an interview recently with our friends at Assembly Call uh, where we talked real seriously about some issues. I would suggest going over there to check that out if you wanna hear me be not as overtly stupid as I am on this show. Uh, But man, it's on and I'm excited for it. I will tell you this, this is my plea this week. Okay. Had conversation with several people behind the scenes, some higher ups that have been very connected to Indiana. And they told me people that care about athletics, they don't vote. Mm. They've never voted. Mm. That's why athletics has never been that singularly focused or that prioritized within the board of trustees because the vast majority of the people, well, first of all, six are appointed by the governor. Right. So those are favors. And the ones that are elected have come out of the very establishment Indiana University academia world. Now, I will say this, Harry Gonzo and Quinn Buckner, you know, those guys are board members and they come out of athletics. So clearly there's a focus there, but it's only two of nine.
1: Well, and and appointments, right? I'm not sure yes. about Harry,
2: but obviously Quinn, both, Quinn is... Both appointments. Yeah. Both
1: appointments. Um, so i i did wonder i was like you know the the Pigs fan base have been wonderful to us and they're the reason we get to keep doing this is because they they do actually listen and participate but will they will they be voters they're like they the young kids that get maybe too much attention in the campaign but they never show up to vote will will our our athletically minded peeps roll out and and i hope so because if you care about athletics Eric's our guy. Eric is our guy without having to worry about being delicate or political is the way maybe Quinn or Harry are kind of being more uh, uh, immersed there in in the community. Eric's going to be lobbing bombs from Los Angeles, just ready to blow it up and, and make it work. And it's look, I think your job's gotten a lot easier. Uh, we'll, we'll see with the new president too, but with Scott Dolson doing what he's doing and our guest today having set athletics up over the last decade, but we're going to need But now course. is the
2: time to pour gas on the fire. Yeah. Now is the time where the foundation is good. We can't take our foot off the gas and go, oh, we're in good shape. So now let's funnel everything else somewhere else. No, now is the time. We need renewed passion on the board. And look, I, I have no problem there's no correlation between age and energy or passion. I mean, we've seen that. The 70 today is the new 68. But what I'm trying to say is, (laughs) look. 63 is the new 41. The average age of the male trustees is 68 years old on the Mm -hmm. board. And they've done it for a long time. And with doing something from a long time just comes, I think, some contentment about it, some taking it for granted. I'm not looking to be a 30-year board member. I'm looking to get in there, shake things up, do the things aggressively that need to be done. And then if people don't want me to be there anymore, I won't be there anymore. But I, I just, I wanna bring the enthusiasm that we bring to this show, that we bring to Indiana University Athletics and just Indiana University in general. I wanna bring that passion into the Board of Trustees meeting rooms. And I want that to be present every step of the way. And we've, you know, PEGS has been great to us. Obviously our podcast started off of PEGS and there's a whole world of people that listen to our podcast that some of them don't even know what PEGS is which is surprising to me, but they do. They follow us on Twitter. Uh, We need you, we need every one of you and we need every one of you to go get other people to vote for us. Because for us to unseat the establishment choices of which there are many of the nine people running, most of them are establishment choices, very connected to the inner workings of Indiana University where the status quo is you know, considered um, a virtue. That's not what we're about. And we got one week before it's real. And that's when we're gonna start rolling out some really fun videos too.
1: And this is where I think your unique perspective, just in general, because of who you are, you always have a unique perspective, but you're, you're approaching a situation that other people have been immersed in or very close to. And it's like, well, just the ability to look at an issue or a problem and say, why do we do it that way? Right. And, and everybody else is like, well, that's just kind of how we always do it. Why?
2: Yeah, that's well,
1: not the that, answer. You that, know, that's just kind of kind of how we always have done it. It's like no, like really to have that take of like actually there's a, a fresh more effective efficient way to do it particularly in 2021 and you being so up to speed on really everything that's going on with with tech with culture and all that kind of stuff you're you're a lot more tapped into what say oh recruits
2: are maybe interested in or prospective students you know sure. I, mean, I think that that's the other thing I'm We're I'm young not a, people young people I'm not a 17 year old I'm not an 18 year old but you know, I, I am closer to that world. My, my day job, we, we, we program television for that audience and young people. Exactly. And look, people love it when I do tell Vince McMahon stories. But one of Vince's great um, mantras is, pretend it's your first day on the job. And he says that to everybody. Mm. Somebody will be like, you know, in a meeting, somebody would ask a question, well, why do we do it like that? And And somebody would answer, well, because we've always done blah, 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 And Vince would go, oh, first day on the job. (laughs) And and that is, I think, a healthy way to look at things. If this was your first day on the job, looking at the way the, the world is laid out, how would you change it? What would be the right decision for now at Indiana in 2021 and not the decision that is the path of least resistance that just keeps the status quo going? And by the way, that doesn't always mean changing everything sometimes no. it means not changing something and and sometimes it means no this has worked it will work today and we shouldn't bend to popular you know pressure or or falling in line and keeping up with the joneses sometimes it means having the strength and the conviction to say no This is who we are. This is fundamental to who we are. We aren't going to change no matter what the outside pressure is. Let's stay the course. So I look at everything, you know, I try to do it in my day job, but I also try to do it, you know, I'm going to try to do it as a trustee. Everything is first day on the job. What's best for Indiana University in 2021 and beyond? You got my vote. Well, that's one.
1: I yeah. I wish probably I could... have to, You'll probably have to remind me in late June though, you know
2: how I am. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say I have my parents vote, but I will tell you this Ward, my dad told me that he has a real problem. He only watches our podcasts now. He only does the watching. Okay. And he says in Judaism, there is a thing called davening. Have you ever heard of davening? No. Davening is a term for when you are praying, when Jewish people pray, you kind of do this. Sure. You, you kind of shake back and forth. That's called davening. When you're praying, people Okay. Do, I've, okay? I've, I've seen it many times and never yes. knew what it was called. My dad says you and I daven when we're doing a podcast and it gives him motion sickness. He says <laughs> we get aggressive and we get excited. We do this. So dad, this is for you.
1: So is this, what? but why did you bring this up? Is this going to cost you
2: his vote? It might. I mean, he's got nothing but criticism, this guy. I mean, he's just got a lot of critique. So I don't know. I mean, I hope I've got those. i got a brother and sister who went to Indiana. So it's like, I feel like we can get into the double figures for sure. Oh yeah. No, I, I think we'll get, I think Doesn't. we might get a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's one week from today. We will be sending out uh, tweets and emails and we appreciate obviously all the support that we've already gotten from a bunch of people who are tweeting and signing up for emails. epfortrustee.com, trusteecom We should be rolling out some videos this week, uh, updating the website. Uh, we got a little green screen shoot later on today that we might be doing. Yeah. So we'll who knows see. what the hell will happen with that?
1: We're getting really advanced in the techno. Like what? It's hanging in my garage now, the green screen. I got it on Amazon for 25 bucks. And I'll tell you this, it's pretty wrinkly. <laughs> oh boy. Is I've heard they're supposed to. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. We'll, we'll light it. Well, we have plenty of lighting.
2: You got an iron, a steamer. I don't think so. No. Uh, a curling iron.
1: Uh, I think Annie took that to Hawaii.
2: A hair straightener.
1: No, no, this is just natural. Soul glow. Well, yeah, that's what's in the hair.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, listen, we asked this gentleman to come on the show, I think, within the first couple weeks that we started doing interviews, and the timing just was not right. But he always said, and he always got back to me and said, when the time's right, I'm definitely coming on your show. I want to. Well, turns out he had to be out of a job before the time was right, but the time was right. And he spent a ton of time indulging us on everything. And I'm just super excited to let people hear him because I think you see a, a human side of him that we didn't always you know, think there was maybe when he was sitting in the big chair. But man, I really enjoyed the conversation. I respect the hell out of him for coming on and taking every question and there were no rules. With the interview, we were able to ask whatever we wanted, and he didn't duck anything.
1: Well, I mean, we're 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 pipsqueaks compared to what he had to deal with before he even got to Bloomington, and there. then once he was there, and how long he did it for, just the the how how thick that skin has to be, to do what he was able to do before and during his time in Bloomington. That uh, it doesn't make it any less impressive. Um, And to be able to put a personality with the press conferences, you know, and, and we see it with players and coaches as well on this show. You really feel like you get to know somebody. And I think this is one of the most extreme examples because you just see this decision maker, this this guy in charge of everything. And all those public statements are pretty carefully crafted. You know, as we even learn in this, some of those had to be re- revised several times before they went out to the public, even when he was no longer in his office. Um, so to just get this unfiltered uh, shoot from the hip conversation is is so refreshing and enlightening. And for you say you want to be. uh an instrumental decision maker at a high level at Indiana University i think it's a real great crash course on how you might go about in conducting your business
2: fair enough your emoji on our logo looks exactly like you
1: <laughs> it's pretty weird i had to shave the soul patch cuz i had an audition um, so i was like i think i'll just grow it back. back rather than redo yeah, the grow uh, up back much easier emoji.
2: it looks exactly like you mine does not i mean the beard on the emoji is so tight and good. And so, look how much gray is in my beard. I mean, look at this thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, didn't... I,
2: don't, I don't look like that. I don't look like that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I, you, you shouldn't feel bad about that. I feel somewhat inadequate that your emoji is much more, I mean, look, it's good because if, if there was an emoji that looked like me, no one would look at it. I mean, <laughs> I wish I looked like the emoji which is a sad state of affairs. Even still, I, I had to hide some of the beard behind the hysterics name. That is my favorite part about it. That is my favorite. <laughs> we should also give your dad a shout out because your dad has grown a quarantine beard that is on point. He could be Santa, except he's way too skinny. It's true. And let's,
1: I have the quote because when I sent that text out to you and him, he, he had this, what did he call it? He wanted to make sure I'd phrased it just right. He said, uh, "Dad wants to know if this grants him membership into the Pankowski Beards of Note Society, the Beards of Note Society." And you, you granted him full membership,
2: uh, immediate. He's the president. <laughs> he is the president of the Guild of the Pankowski Beards of Note, and we are taking applications. So, anybody else who wants to join, send a tweet with your yes. quarantine beard. And we will retweet the hell out of it because I'm tired of people telling me how stupid I look. So I would like other people to look as stupid as me.
1: Or just vote for Eric a bunch of times and he'll get rid of it. That's really how you should vent your frustrations with the beard. Take it to the voting booth.
2: That's right. If, if I win, the beard's coming off and we will post the video of me shaving it. Ward will be there. Ward might shave it off.
1: If if I'm given proper gloves, I will shave it off. I just don't want to accidentally
2: touch it. You might find some some snacks in there. (laughs) I'll make sure the dog is down by your feet awaiting. I'm fairly certain Hoffa is over here.
1: (laughs) Is that what the smell is?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's something else, unfortunately. (laughs) All right, well, let's get to this interview. One week away from the election campaign, uh, coming to an end and the election actually starting. Uh, but we will see you on the other side of this incredible conversation. Here
1: comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know what we do here, but we've never done it like this before. Not with a gentleman like this and his accomplishments are not only significant, they are extensive. So strap up. This is going to take a couple minutes. Eric, good luck to you,
2: sir. Hailing from Indianapolis, Indiana, where of course he matriculated as an undergrad at Indiana University, got his degree 1981, pretty momentous year for Indiana University. He got his law degree from IU in 1984. From 1989 to 1993, he was chief of staff for Governor Evan Bayh. He is an attorney. He sat as the uh, president of the Marion County Capital Improvement Board, which owns and operates venues like the Indiana Convention Center and that little place called Lucas Oil Stadium. From 2000 to 2007, he was president, oh, that was from 2000 to 2007. He was also the president of the Indianapolis 2011 Super Bowl bid committee. He has sat on committees of Indianapolis organizing for the Big Ten basketball tournaments. And then, of course, the way we all know him best, 11 and a half years as an athletic director at Indiana Universities. And I just got to take a deep breath here because here we go. 28 individual and one NCAA team championship, 25 team and 210 individual Big Ten championships, 46 Big Ten athletes of the year, 537 All-American honors, 1,318 academic All-Big Ten honorees. <sighs> Now let's talk about some infrastructure things. $49 million Memorial Stadium North End Zone facility improvement, $48 million for the Excellence Academy at Memorial Stadium on the south end, $45 million to renovate Simon Scott Assembly Hall, $25 million for the construction of Cook Hall, and a combined $50 million for the construction of Wilkinson Hall, Bart Kaufman Field, the foul golf course, and Andy Moore Field also not one major NCAA rules violation. And I have a feeling this one is near and dear to his heart. The graduation success rate climbed from 77% to 91% during his tenure. It was an IU record. Each of his last seven years at Indiana, he formed the IU Excellence Academy, the Student Athlete Bill of Rights. He did anything you could possibly imagine at Indiana, which culminated in receiving the IU President's Medal for Excellence This gentleman is only one of 143 individuals who has ever received the award and only one of six to receive the award that has any ties directly to athletics. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome the last athletic director for Indiana University, Fred Glass.
0: Well, Eric, thank you for that uh, overly generous introduction. The only thing you didn't mention is that I'm also a notary public. So if you've got some documents <laughs> to authenticate or something, I'm your guy. I've got my little clipper in my briefcase. So
2: You got the stamp? You got the uh, I got the,
0: the stamp, I got the whole thing.
2: All right. Well, Fred, uh, again, thank you for doing this. Obviously, a, a laundry list of accomplishments. And when you are athletic director at Indiana for as long as you are, you come into contact with so many people, coaches, behind-the-scenes staff, student-athletes. But of all those accomplishments at Indiana that I listed, which one does stick out the most to you when you when you kind of sit back now and think of your time there? Is there one that you're most proud of?
0: Um, you know, probably not. I mean, there's a lot of apples and oranges uh, in there. Um, I, I would say that, that, that I'm most proud of as an alumnus and a longtime fan that, that I felt like all that stuff collectively was rebuilding the foundation of IU athletics. You know, we didn't get everything done. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't, uh, you know, uh, check every box, but you know, when I, when I got there, things were not good. And um, I, uh, I remember I was interviewing uh, coaches, uh, trying to figure out what the hell was going on because I was a non-traditional candidate, which is a good euphemism for, he has no idea what he's doing. you know, right. <laughs> With the Sampson uh, debacle and and all that, that they were willing to try something different and turn to an alumnus and probably a lawyer and somebody uh, been been involved. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I'm talking to all the coaches and multiple coaches said to me, why would a guy that looks like he could be doing something else want to come here and do this? Hmm. You know, that didn't scare me, but it bummed me out because to me, it's Bloomington, Indiana, the quintessential college town, uh, you know, sports, college, my alma mater. You know, w- why do these men and women think so little of that that they, that they would wonder why I would want to come? And then I thought about it a little bit, you know? So we were, we were in a decade removed from Coach Knight getting fired and, and how divisive that was everywhere, but including in the department. Um, we were just a few years away from Coach Hepner you know, dying of the horrible brain cancer when we thought he was going to lead us to the promised land. And the reason I was there, we were doing two things that I people can put up with a lot of stuff. They can't put up with cheating and they can't put up with non-graduating. And we were getting that, you know, uh, heavily from the, from the Samson era. So anyway, I realized at that point that the, the things were maybe a little worse than I thought. Oh, and to top it all off, I was a fifth athletic director in eight years.
2: Yeah, that I, I did wanna bring that up. I mean, you, there, when you look at the history of athletic directors at, at Indiana, there are some that are legends, you know, and, and had tenures that you fit right in with, 11 years, 12 years, a 14 year in there. But there were several that are like these short term, there were some interim athletic directors for Indiana. It really was a total mess. That is unheard of at, at a level of school that Indiana is.
0: Yeah, it was really awful, and I, I hadn't really honed in on that until until sort of that moment, and you can't get anything accomplished if you're leadership like that, so anyway, that was, as my uh, the judge I used to work for, that was a long windup. The pitch is, um, I really understood fairly early on that I felt like I had to rebuild the foundation or be part of rebuilding the foundation of IU Athletics, both culturally and then physically, because the place... Physically, when I came back in 2009, didn't look a whole hell of a lot different than when I left <laughs> in 1981 as a student. So we we had a lot of work to do. So to answer your question, I, I think all that taken together, we rebuilt the foundation, didn't accomplish everything. But I, but I think when I left, we were we had accomplished quite a bit. And we were well positioned to accomplish more. You
1: absolutely left it much better than you found it. You, you, from the studs all the way through, all of these things we're going to get into, but we do want to know what's going on with you right now. As you were leaving IU, you said, I'm not sure what's next, but whatever it's going to be is going to be fun. And we know you ended up there with Taft at the law firm, but can you talk about the the fun that's going on in your life right now?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm back to practicing law. So, uh, you know, some people may say, I just, I just can't get out of the, the, the cycle. Um, but I like being here at Taft. I'm working on some interesting things. I'm working for the Indy 11, seeing if we can get a soccer stadium built up here in Indianapolis. That's a big thing, looking at redoing the Circle Center Mall, redeveloping that. So some big projects have uh, found their way to me, which I like, but mostly I'm like hitting my own pace. I got five grandchildren here in Indianapolis. Um, I wrote a pandemic book, so I spent some time during the pandemic writing a book, which will come out with IU Press in uh, November. So uh, really? I'm having some fun getting ready to roll that out. So it's been, it's been, it's been busy. Look, I loved being AD, loved it till the last day. Um, but um, it, it was time for me. So I, I left as a happy camper. I'm a huge fan. I stay in contact with Scott. But, you know, when you leave something, you leave something. And I'm, I'm enjoying uh, kind of the new chapter.
2: Do you Are you
0: far enough away
2: yet to miss the juice of being the athletic director of Indiana, the excitement of going to a football game, going to a basketball game, a women's game? Does that, uh, the, you know, have you been able to replace that feeling?
0: You know, Eric, um, the thing I miss the most is the kids, you know, getting to know these kids. And I think Doc Councilman said one time, you never feel like you're getting old because everybody you work with is always 18 or 19 or 20 years old. (laughs) And there really is something to that. I mean, it it was a very evergreen feeling job. And, uh, I, I loved getting to know these kids. That's what I miss. I will confess that, um, the games were hard. I mean, it was fun. I had to, I had great seats and all that, but, man, these are, you know, your people and, and it would, it would just, it's funny it got worse for me as it went along I I enjoyed it less and and was I was nervous more so stepping back um I can enjoy it a little more because it's more um you know dispassionate than then then you've got you guys are fans I'm a fan I grew up in Indy and all that but when you lay your um your your responsibility on top of being a fan you feel every turnover every close call every you know And, and, and frankly, that's the part that's kind of wearing on me.
1: Cause you know, with each turnover, you're like, that's another email I'm going to get. That's going to be another angry text message. Somebody sends me. So, so now you're,
0: that's another
2: podcast that these two idiots are going to be going nuts about the coaching (laughs) thing that needs to happen.
0: But see, that's the great thing about IU sports in general and men's basketball in particular. Um, People are super passionate about it, you know, and, um, and they, and they, and they, and they care. Uh, deeply, and you know, sometimes I think what I consider to not be super true IU fans express it in in ways that are counterproductive, you know, and hurtful to the kids. But overall, the fan base is just super passionate, super knowledgeable. So, the the, the, the fact that somebody coaches their daughter's C team and CYO in fourth grade makes them know that they could get the ball in bounds against Penn State <laughs> and not have all those turnovers, right? Right. So that's the, that's that's the tough part because they're going to tell me about it but the good part is they do know the game and they know what's a dumb reaction to a you know a 311 press or whatever so it's 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 a great thing and it makes it probably one of the best fan bases of any sport in college, in college sports.
2: So what uh, before we go back to get a little bit of memory lane here uh, the big thing, obviously, that has happened with your successor, Mr. Scott Dolson, is the change at at the head coach of the basketball program and bringing back Mike Woodson. What's your take on Woody? And uh, did you get to know him in your time at, at Indiana at all? And just would love your take on, on what you're seeing from that.
0: Sure. Well, I, I'm all in, man. And I, and I hope all of IU Nation is all in. And I feel that momentum. You know, I, I, it frustrates me. Uh, when there's, um, you know, critics, and I get that's part of it, but but I, but I think everybody needs to be all in with Coach Woods, and I certainly am. He and I exchanged um, a nice text message after he was uh, named. I, my experience with him goes back to Broaddurble High School. You know, I I went to Broaddurble High School in the summer. I took driver's ed and, um, and library experience because you couldn't just take driver's ed, so I'm sort of an unofficial an rocket, and I went in that little cracker box gym they have up there and watch Mike Woodson, um, play. And then we were, you know, um, I didn't know him in Bloomington, of course, but we were semi contemporaries. So, um, I'm really excited about, uh, him and his tenure and, uh, um, you know, certainly the early activity has been dramatically encouraging. So I hope everybody's on board. I certainly am. It does feel like when his
1: name was officially floated out, that a candidate they're considering him their skepticism and worry but then once the hire was made people educated themselves these early successes both with the transfer portal and the recruiting started coming in everybody's just getting more and more excited but we know outside of bloomington indy's really the the, the ground zero of what the fan base is feeling are you getting that positivity up in Indy around what's happening down in bloomington
0: oh, yeah absolutely people are, i think are excited um, you know um, one of the things our fan base loves the hot stove season you know what what recruits are coming in what's yeah, going on that's of course, again, you the can't lose any games Fred you can't we're undefeated in the hot <laughs> I stove know, man I know it's like spring training everybody's <laughs> everybody's a pennant contender <clears throat> but I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of substance to that and then the biggest thing is I just trust Scott and his judgment you know so we, we talked a lot about that and I just said look man I'll I'll be a sounding board for you. I'll talk about process for you. The only thing is I'm not going to weigh in on any candidate because for, for one thing it needed to be his choice. And of course it was going to be his choice. But for the but the other thing is one of the things I liked walking away from was deciding coaches fates, you know, either firing them or hiring new ones. Um, I, I walked up to it. I did a lot of it, both sides, uh, sometimes multiple times in the same sport. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but I said, I I don't want to be a part of that, but, but, but I'll be a sounding board for you. And so I never called him, but I answered when he called me and, you know, he, he had a process and he's a smart guy and he's a deliberative guy and I trust his judgment.
2: Was there any doubt for you as you were deciding to end your tenure that Scott was the right guy
0: to succeed you? No doubt. Um, at all. Um, not just because uh, he and I've you know gotten to be friends and all that, but I saw up close how capable he is. So as you guys know, and maybe some of your listeners may not know, um, Scott's background was in fundraising, and he's a super personable guy and connects with everybody and makes people feel great, and that's awesome. But, but I think sometimes people would um, um, uh, underestimate him because he's not only that, but he's also – super good with numbers and he's a, he can be a tough guy and he can make tough decisions. And, and, and he's a good you know recruiter. I mean, most of our, a lot of our best people in the department came up through the varsity club because Scott had a way of finding these um, um, people. So I think one of our challenges in the succession succession was helping, you know, the decision-makers understand, Hey, he, he's more than a pretty face, right? He's, he's, he's a substantive guy. And I think, I think we're seeing that through the decisions that, you know, he's been, uh, making ways um, led the department during a pandemic, um, and uh, and and so I'm happy for him, but I'm mostly happy for IU and IU athletics because I think he's the right guy at the right time.
1: Well, and when we talk about continuity, five athletic directors in eight years. And we even talk about that with our IU basketball coaches, the way, you know, from, from, uh, you know, Dean Smith, and eventually they get to Roy Williams, sort of this succession plan, obviously, Bo Ryan to Greg Gard. I, I do wonder if there's a real practical thing of you having to rebuild the culture, like it was not a pleasant atmosphere, as you described, when you showed up, even for people who were there. So... It has to be when you spent 11 plus years making it someplace people wanted to be and were proud to be. Everybody had to know that Scott was going to be able to keep building on that culture rather than somebody coming in from the outside and potentially disrupting it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm biased about that. So I I suppose it's self-serving to agree with you, but I but I do. (laughs) I, I think I think sometimes Decision makers can get interested in that shiny little object that that they get they get 20 minutes in an interview of somebody and, and hear all the stuff as opposed to somebody that's like the the millionaire next door or the good to great guy right From, that's the the guy in the company that may not be flashy but but he or she you know um, goes up to CEO and 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 kills it so uh, I totally agree with that and. And, and frankly, I think it was, a, it was an endorsement about what Scott and I had done together for 11 or so uh, years. And so that feels good just personally feeling that that, that continuity is desired. You know, because because look, I counted it up one time. Um, after I got hired as AD in 2009, in the 11 and a half years I was there, I think 19 athletic directors in Big Ten schools quit being athletic directors in Big Ten schools. And by my count, 17 of those were not on their terms.
3: Mm. They got
0: fired or pushed out. Um, so, uh, j- you know, just to be able to run through the tape without getting smoked was, <laughs> was 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 attractive. And I told my wife when I took the job, I said, you know, I'll probably get fired. I'm taking this job and I'll, I'll probably get fired either because I screw up or I take the heat because somebody else screwed up, but that's the nature of the business. You know, they say coaches are hired to get fired. So I said, if you can't be cool with that, I'm not gonna take this.
3: Hmm. And once
0: I internalized that I'd probably get fired, I was like, you know, a superhero, right? I mean, I, I, what could somebody do to me when I've already accepted that I'd probably get fired? So one thing I'm proud of is I never made a decision to try to keep from getting fired, hmm. you know? And, and I think a lot of people in our business or my old business, would do that and that was super emancipating for me um, to uh to to feel that way because i wasn't trying to polish my credentials to get another job this was the last ab job i was going to have i was going to live with my decisions because i'm going to live in you know central south central indiana so it was good i think that i had the accountability of i'm not going away but it was also good that you know you know i'm a lawyer i can if i get fired i can go do something else
2: Do you think your time as chief of staff for the governor, uh, Governor Bayh, prepared you for a world in which slings and arrows come at you pretty often in the public sphere? Because even though you were a non-traditional candidate, there aren't many candidates that take over jobs like the AD of Indiana that are used to public scrutiny in the way that the AD of Indiana is going to be. And do you feel like that did prepare you so you were ready for it?
0: Eric, that's a really... Good insight, I think, because for one thing, I don't have many. That'll be my (laughs) one this show. (laughs) You know, I was a non-traditional candidate, so I had no idea what the hell, you know, I was I was doing, but I I did rely on my time in public service first, um, because I think being the AD of a major public research university is like public service, but with all that goes on with that, you've got to be comfortable with the transparency of it all. You know, I remember early on with, with the culture of five athletic directors in eight years and my predecessor and all that, something would happen. And the first question for my staff would be, well, who told, like how'd that get out? And I'm like, well, who gives a shit about how it get out? I, I'm more concerned, is it true or not true? And, and I think I think being comfortable with that transparency was, was helpful, setting big audacious goals and going after them uh, was, was helpful. Um, Doing the right thing, regardless of where the criticism comes, I think was was helpful. And those are lessons I learned in public service. And then the other part was, as, as bad as the heat got um, in athletics, it was never as bad as it was in, in politics. You know, in politics, you know, half the people basically want you to die. You know? <laughs> in, 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 in athletics, it's like um, we all want the same thing to win. You know, to graduate we disagree a lot about how, and that's the fun part of it, right? That's why you guys are fun and, you know, challenging things. And that's the magic of, of sports, but it's generally not like a death struggle, you know, whereas <laughs> a politics has only unfortunately become more that way. Well, let's
1: go all the way back. Um, we know, we know, you know, we're going to get uh, all the juicy details when your book comes out in the fall. Uh, but just give us a, a little bit idea of your, your upbringing there in Indianapolis and how you got yourself to Braboff sort of the prelude to Bloomington.
0: That's kind of you to even know that. Um, so, you know, I was born in uh, Indianapolis. And basically, most of what I learned about people in life, I learned in a back of a Skid Row bar. My dad owned a Skid Row bar on East Washington Street, Indianapolis. And I, I grew up in there until my teenage years. And then he bought another bar. Which was a lot more fun, you know. It's it's more fun growing up in a bar when you're a teenager than when you're eight. Um, But I'll just leave that. I'll leave that uh, uh, where it is. My mother was a social worker in the public schools, um, and um, um, I was an only child. And uh, um, my dad went to uh, Marquette University on the GI Bill, Mm -hmm. and that's why he wanted me to go to Rebuff because he really believed in the Jesuits, and I'm a big Jesuit person. A lot of the um, values, and I, I'm not talking theologically or religiously, but just, I, 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 think they're amazing leadership philosophy. And so a lot of the things we tried to do at athletics, I think was Ignatian. I'm very influenced by, uh, the Jesuits, but left, um, left, uh, my, um, in 76, my best buddy, Brian Brasi and I went to, uh, what was then Ware cook airport to welcome the 76 team back. We skipped school and did that so my you know um, love of IU and IU basketball goes way way back and then you know I went down to Bloomington and had a great time just a knucklehead living in McNutt for a couple of years and yes. um, thank God they didn't have you know videos and, and all that stuff <laughs> uh, uh, back then and uh, and then went to a law school in Indianapolis and ended up working for the governor and Practicing law and doing some of the things that Eric was kind enough to mention. Oh, well, I whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, whoa, whoa. yeah we got up. it. You,
1: that You're was right. way too much of a nutshell. First of all, which which flank of McNutt were you in?
0: I was on Bordner Three.
1: Crone three, neighbors, okay. neighbors.
0: For two years, because the first year was pretty fun. So I'm like, well, why you know they're cooking my food. They're, you know, there's a lot of girls here. You know, yeah. I, I was meeting in the oven, but at least I aspired to and <laughs> had the opportunity to. So I was at McNutt for two years and then um, uh, went out to what was called then 1700 North Jackson uh, or Jackson Heights. I think it is now 555 Lava Way uh, across the street from a place called Benson's Hoosier Liquor Store. Mm. It's called uh, um, it's called uh, Hoosier Liquors now and uh, uh, worked in there. And actually, uh, um, so I grew up in a tavern. Right. And, and, And I was looking for a job. And, um, I thought, well, this liquor stores across the street, you know, I can work in there and you know, I got a fake ID because I'd gone in the back of Rolling Stone magazine. This is like, so boomer, you know, yeah. uh, and, 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 ordered a, a fake Wisconsin driver's license <laughs> in, in Rolling Stone magazine and used it to get this job in this liquor store, um, and, uh, and worked in there. And then unfortunately one day I was, um. I cashed my paycheck and I was wheeling out a keg. I was going to have a keg at my apartment, and the excise police arrested me for contributing to the delinquency of a minor because my buddy was underage. But not then you. They <laughs> run my name through and find out I'm a minor.
3: <laughs> so that
0: was not my that was not my best moment. I and mean, I got put in a hooskow and 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 all that stuff. But oh, and and then and then I had just met my future wife Barbara, and she brought a bunch of girlfriends over for this pre football game kegger we were going to have and then I'm not there. And in my defense, I had a good excuse. I was in jail, yes. <laughs> but it didn't really help me with her and her girlfriends that, uh, that, that this new boy she met was on no show at this party we were supposedly yeah. having, so.
2: Well, it, it helped form that bad boy image that everybody knows you for, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Right, right. I, I,
1: You know, one of the wait, things, Fred, that- Wait, I, I do have to say, this is the probably only chance I'll get to say how I got my first fakes. I think you had the better way with the back of Rolling Stone for me. I had to go over to Varsity Villas and had to do like the knock at the door- and then you get waved in by somebody out front and then you get into the room with the guy with the ski mask on and the Polaroid camera and I had a pose in front of a giant Indiana driver's license they printed out and put on the back wall and then they laminate it for you and walk out the door and say if you tell anybody, you know, we're going to come find you. Yeah,
0: we know people. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's awesome.
2: Look, yeah. that, was, that was just a side business that I was doing when I was. In-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I so,
2: knew that voice. Yeah. Um, Fred, one of the things that's really been enlightening about doing this show with Ward over the last two and a half years is you you see these people that you think you know and you pull out personality traits and you trace them way back to when they formed those personality traits and, and oftentimes for us, it's you know a dad or a mom really you know pushing them to be the best they could be. But one of the things I always admired about you and please I hope you take this in the best uh, way in which I intend it. You have a swagger about you, a confidence that I do think is really necessary for that job, for a head coaching job of like the football program or the basketball program. I think that kind of healthy ego and swagger that what you say, you. my old boss used to say, often wrong, never in doubt. Um, but there is something to that. Like you don't wanna be wrong, but you need to have self-assuredness you know, growing up, you know, a Skid Row bar um, and, and just kind of getting your way through and getting to Indiana, where do you trace that kind of self-confidence back to? Or can you?
0: You know, that's a real interesting comment uh, um, to, to me because I never felt like a confident person. Mm-hmm. And especially when I was younger, in fact, I felt a great lack of confidence. You know, I, 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 I never wanted to try anything I wasn't immediately good at. You know, I never wanted to put myself out there. Um, I, you know, I was a decent athlete, but I never really went out for the teams at Burbuff because I just I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing, you know. And I feared failure and I and I wasn't very confident. My my kids have paid the price for that because I got a we had a rule that they had to play a sport every semester because I thought it was important for their development and self-confidence to belong to a team. I I will confess that I, ne- I never really felt like I belonged and I, I, I didn't feel like a very confident um, person. Um, changed at some point. I, well, I, 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 I think a couple things. One is, um, growing up in that bar and meeting all these characters and knowing them as people and not street people or bums or anything like that. And seeing my mom be a social worker in Indianapolis public schools for 30 years uh, my parents were very progressive on racial issues they were very active in their communities and i and i think i think that i think that helped give me a, a groundedness and maybe a humility that i that i that i never thought i was owed anything or 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 and i feel like i connect with people because i really like people and then when i um probably when i was like working for the governor um, at a young age, you know, I was his chief of staff at 30 years old, which yeah. seems crazy, but I started thinking, you know, I can do this, this, this isn't magical. You know, these are regular people figuring this out. And, and once I, once I was pushed to do that, um, and, and, and realized that there's no magic, there's just judgment and hard work and doing right. Then I started feeling, you know, more confident. I wanted to quit law school because the idea of standing up and reciting in class literally made me throw up, you know, Wow. and, and now I, you know, I would do a lot of speaking and people would say, man, you're so, you know, calm and everything. And, but man, I'm churning, you know, churning, churning, churning. So, um, I, I appreciate that because it, 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 it makes me feel good that I think I've gotten to a point where, you know, with confidence, you know people will listen. Sometimes they will follow. They will believe, right. and so that's good. But it's been a life journey for me.
2: Wow, that's that's I would never have guessed that, and uh, I'm glad we asked. So yeah. let's get let's get back to your undergrad time at India.
1: You did you did mention. Uh, and and I can attest to this, having met my wife as an undergrad, and that she had to bail me out from jail in Bloomington. I didn't just stand her up at a party I was hosting. When did you know that that Barbara was the one, and that that was going to be your your teammate for
0: life? So I met Barbara at an IU football game. Um, we we our group sat up in the um, be on the uh, what we call the student side. Closer to 17th street. Nobody sat up there back then. They don't sit there now. I was going to say so nobody, it, nobody sat anywhere Fred. next <laughs> season. <laughs> next anywhere, season. That's all over. Yeah. When I, when I took this job, I said, Hey, can I get 10 football tickets? And they said, you can have 400 football. tickets." <laughs> so I met her, I met her there. And I, I managed to get past the uh, misstep on the oops, sorry, he's in jail uh, thing. And, and then uh, my first date with Barbara, I, I came to see her. She lived in Mason hall over by Wilkie. Sure. And, uh, I, I, knock on the door. And like I said, I wasn't very confident. I was nervous. And, uh, I said, Hey, you want to go get something to eat? And to my great fortune, they were getting ready to set off a bug bomb in there and, and, and blow insecticide all over the place. <laughs> so she's like, you know, okay. So, so we go to, um, we go to, uh, Five-Way Chili, which was my go-to place. They let me run a tab there. And uh, um, <laughs> this is so bad. But so we we, we, we we go there and I buy a five-way. And Barb doesn't want anything. And that was all the money I had. So I go, hey, do you want to get a 12-pack and go back to, you know, 555 Lava Way and watch a movie or something? And she goes, sure. And I go, can you buy it? You know, so she had to buy it. <laughs> So she can't say she didn't know what she was getting into with me okay so we go to 585 lava way drink the beers have have a, a great uh, uh time but it's funny man there is a moment and and, and I'm, I'm kind of realizing this because when you write the book you start thinking about stuff but um new year's eve 1979 we're out partying and this and that. We get we get ditched. We're in a cab. We're in the back of the cab. We're both a little popped, and this is not very romantic. But <laughs> the song "Brandy, You're a Fine Girl" comes on the radio by the taxi cab guy, and Barb just starts lip singing it to me with great gusto and and things, and I'm just like. Man, I'm. This, I, I'm. This is. This may be the one. I'm. This is good for me. So that's when I thought I knew. And then we got married right after my first year of law school. So not too long after that.
2: Well, uh, awesome. not too long after that momentous night in the cab, in 1981, Indiana brings home a national championship in basketball. We always love hearing from the people that were at Indiana during championship years, which we were not. So uh, what, what do you remember? Oh,
0: sorry about that.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't your fault. That was not your fault. Um, okay. No, no, we'll blame you for other stuff, not that okay. one. Yeah, um, all right. But tell us about what you remember from that incredible championship that happened in Philadelphia.
0: Um, well, first, you know, it was a crazy year. You guys are historians. Uh, didn't start out too well um, season rallied and I was playing in a, uh, alumni league at Burbuff. And so we were in Indianapolis that first game, I think it was a Sunday and we watched it in the garage, which was this honky tonk bar in Broad Ripple, my buddy's eye. And and we win, And so then we're like, you know, I'm, I'm a huge honor of the jinx. Right. So, so the next game we go back to Indianapolis for no reason other than to watch the next game in the garage, which we did. And of course we win. The other thing I remember is when I got my little bracket out of the IDS. Yeah. I filled it out and I really didn't intend it to, but I'm like, well, we can beat them. Well, we can beat them, Well, we can beat them. So I had Indiana winning it on my refrigerator at five Oh five East 8th street, um, which is where I lived when I was a senior. Um, and then we, we so we watched every game at the garage until the championship game. We watched it at 505 East Eight. And of course, you know, beat North Carolina and just went ape and went down to Showalter Walter Fountain and you know went crazy and then down to uh, Kirkwood. And you know, I mean it was a, it was the greatest thing ever. You know, that was an era where you you sort of expected to win one during your tenure. I, I teased my wife because she's a year older than me, so she got she got like the bowling uh, pin, you know, this.
3: Uh, <laughs> one at the year before,
0: one at the year after, which to this day still kind of haunts her off. But yeah, I got it in 81 and it was, you know, spectacular. Well,
1: because we kind of, everybody was sort of glances over uh, what it's actually like at Show Walter Fountain or on Kirkwood. And, can you just sort of describe the feeling, the sights, the sounds, maybe the smells for those of us who've never got to experience that? I have to imagine that's, that's depending on how much you had to drink, that's burned into your memory
0: forever. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, when, when we won the NIT in 79 um, beating Purdue, so that was, you know, it's the NIT, but um, we beat Purdue, you know, Last second shot, Jerry Seesting misses the one to win, which makes it even better. Um, my buddy Lee Hill and I, he drove his Fiat up on the steps of the auditorium, and they were going. It's he and I in his blue Fiat, you know, and he should have been driving, and we and, and and we go up on the steps for for an NIT win, you know. So that was that was fun, and then you can only imagine what it was like for the. Um, the championship then the next day it's funny you go around campus and everybody is totally hungover, you know looking bad drinking cokes sitting <laughs> around um it was crazy but but the, one of the fun things we used to have a party on um um a little five weekend that started when i was a freshman in mcnutt and we just kept doing it and they kept doing it after i left we called it the ponderosa and people would dress up like ponderosa characters and and by my senior year, it was kind of a big thing. and We had these big grills and all that. And, and, and all of a sudden, Randy Whitman walks up to my party.
3: Ugh.
0: And I'm like, I've officially made it. I could die and I'd be cool because Randy Whitman was like my favorite player. He's just from Indianapolis, tough guy, um, you know, uh, unflappable. And he's like at Freddie's party. I was very, ex- I, that was a great day for me.
2: Huge, huge, I hope Barbara was there and was impressed.
0: Well, she had graduated oh, okay. um, but um, uh, yeah, I think she I think she came back
2: that's good, so uh, you graduate i u and you decide to go to law school. did you know when, when did you make the decision that you wanted to do law school and did you consider going anywhere else besides Indiana? Um,
0: I sort of always wanted to go to law school. Um, my dad dropped out of law school um, i loved watching perry mason and judge the defense and you know reading you know books about lawyers and 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 i was i was not a math science guy I, <laughs> because those answers are so clear and undeniable i, I work better in the gray area uh, give me a little history give me a little political science give me, give me somewhere where i can move a little bit and that seemed like law school uh fit that bill so um i I, I thought about going to Marquette, um, um, but, but ultimately, I'm like, you know, I think I want to settle in Indiana, and it made sense to go to law school in Indianapolis.
2: So you graduate from law school in 1984, and I'm sure a lot happens between 1984 and 1989, but I, I mean, a five-year run from graduating law school to becoming the chief of staff for the governor of the state of Indiana is as, as remarkable a, of a transition into adult life as I can think of. What were the key points that got you to that with Governor Bayh?
0: Well, if you forgive me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back because it's an sure. important, I think, part of your question and, 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 uh, and the overall picture. So when I was a junior at IU in the spring, um, I decided that I wanted to that summer have an internship in Washington. So I was always super interested in politics. And um, so I went to the student building where my political science um, counselor was there, Reva Christman. And I tell her, you know, I go, I you know, I go over there with my girlfriend, and she waits outside, and I go in and I uh, tell her what I want to do, and she's like, you know, you're an idiot. It's like. April or March or whatever, and you want to do something for the summer, which was very typical of me, you know. At the time, I didn't really think ahead. I'm like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do it this summer. You know, it'll be great. So she said, um, but um, Senator Birch by reserves a place on on his subcommittee on the Constitution, of which he chair. He's the chairman because he doesn't want all those internships to go to like Georgetown kids or right. GW kids mm-hmm. or whatever. And you know you could apply for that, and and that would be in the fall. So I said, okay. So I go outside, and I'm I'm talking to my girlfriend, and I said, uh, I, this is bullshit. I'm not do, I'm not doing this. You know, I I don't want to miss my senior year in the fall in Bloomington. Um, I you know I I, uh, um, I don't think I can aff- I can't afford it, and I want to be on his personal staff. I don't want to be on this bullshit Constitution Subcommittee. And sort of my point earlier, felt very comfortable getting back in my comfort zone, right? right. I, would, I was a guy, I had a lot of fun, but I never liked getting out of my comfort zone, kind of that confidence thing. And I, I could almost feel a warm feeling that, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna do whatever. And so she starts challenging me, you know, like, well, wait a minute, you know, you could, you could go to school this summer so you could graduate on time. You could take out loans because you'll miss working this summer. Um, don't you want to be a lawyer? You know, the subcommittee on the constitution thing sounds great, you know, so to make a long story short, I applied for that internship and I, and I got it and everything I've done since I chart back to that. And I would tell that story to our kids, our, our athletes all the time, because it's about getting out of your comfort zone and, 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 you know, the punchline is of course, that girlfriend is my wife now who continues to challenge me in ways that piss me off but are you know very very good for me um and that was the first time where I looked behind the curtain and said this isn't magic out here these staffers in the senate I could do that you know I could do that and 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 that may have been one of the first real jolts of self-confidence that I got because I always thought there was some magic to stuff and 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 it's really not it's just regular people trying to you know, execute and do stuff. You know I mean? You got to start a podcast or anything about podcasts, right? So Still you just, so you, just, so you, just did it, you know, yeah. which is awesome. I'll, t- I'll tell you why,
1: Fred, because my wife was harping on me about starting a podcast. True story.
0: Well, there you go. We both married you. well. It sounds like, you know,
1: she, and she's yeah. a year older than me.
2: Just for- excellent just to be transparent and I'm divorced. So let's just move past
0: that. Maybe <laughs> well, she'd been a little more challenging. You guys would have gotten along, you know, yeah. I don't know. The problem
2: know. is I challenged her
0: too much, um,
2: so, okay. But anyway,
0: I know I'm going down these rabbit holes. No, I I'll, love I'll, it. I'll bring that back around a little bit. So um, when I uh, uh, I came back, got out of, got, got, got of law school, during law school, I started getting involved with Evan by because I knew the Buy people through Birch Bayh. Bi. And then um, um, I applied for this this judicial clerkship, right? And, and I figured I had no shot at all at this judicial clerkship because they're for all these brainiacs and I really wasn't a, a brainiac, but you'll like this too. So back then there was a bulletin board with a three by five card, um, you know, pinned to the bulletin board. So when I tell kids this, they freak out, right? Because really that's how you guys did that. And the thing said, looking for a law clerk, Judge S.U. Dillon, looking for a law clerk, you've got to be in the top 10% of your class, law review, moot court, and have a working knowledge of Indiana University basketball.
2: Oh, I love it.
0: So how great is that? So this guy was like out of Central Casting, kindly old Judge Dillon, super good dude from Petersburg, Indiana. I can talk about him for, forever, but, but it was so awesome that that's how he chose to represent himself. And we'd talk about the games all the time and he never knew the players' names. He couldn't remember their names, but he always knew their hometown. You know, talking about Stu Robbins. Anderson was stinking last night <laughs> or something. You know, so it was it was really really fun. But part of that was, you know, he was a political guy and he knew Birch, and that kind of helped me get that. And then um, um, after that, I went to work for a for a small law firm, but I stayed really involved in uh, in politics and primarily Evan Bay, and that's a that's a passion my wife and i share she was scheduling susan by um you know as she went around the state and uh, and you know a 32 year old guy gets elected governor so it's, it's if you're a 29 year old guy it's not so bad you know
2: and, and maybe one of the last politicians anywhere that was beloved on both sides of the aisle in in your state i mean it seems like i don't know if that's specific to Evan and who he was, obviously I didn't grow up in the state of Indiana, but I kind of followed him because I was also into politics. And it always amazed me looking at the numbers for him, because I do love numbers, that how much support he had on both sides. And it seems like those days, there's just, it doesn't even seem possible that a governor could do that
0: these days. Well, I'm, I'm biased, but Eric, I think that's, I think that's right. And, you know, if you're not, a, if you're not a moderate Democrat in Indiana, you're not going to get elected, but that's who he is. He's he's sort of a conservative person fiscally and otherwise by nature. So there is a balance. And unfortunately, with the toxic politics that we've brought on ourselves, you know, um, um, through, you know, redistricting and low voter turnout and, um, you know, uh, those things, we've, we've pushed the, the moderate people out, you know, and it's super unfortunate. And I think a real, a real problem, but, but yeah, he, I felt like he was, uh, you know, a moderate that, that 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 both Republicans and Democrats could have confidence in.
1: I did come back on a, a flight and he was sitting in front of me and I was just sort of observing how this man composed himself and he was so kind with everybody he interacted with he was showing the stewardess pictures of his his kids i'm like wow this this really is a good man but i wonder for you especially at that young age and seeing another young man in such a position of power and responsibility what did you learn about leadership from your time with him
0: oh that's a that's a great question and i could probably take the rest of the podcast (laughs) um um with with that um I think uh, I, I think um, he would have agreed with Wells, who famously said, maybe with a little help from Goethe, um, dream no small dreams they lack the passion to stir men's blood hmm. and 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 um, that always stuck with me. Evan wanted to do big things and I think did big things. And when I came to IU, um, I wanted to do big things and my experience in politics was those terms go super fast even if you even if you have two terms you know eight years um it's 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 hard to get stuff done and it's easy to get sucked into the minutia, you know and and so one of the things evan taught me was decide early on what you want to accomplish and start working at it because you don't know what else may be um going on and have your clear cut priorities because if you don't have Clear priorities, everybody else's priorities become your priorities, right? That's why we talk so much about the five priorities when I was AD because day to day, man, the urgent can displace the important. You can get so focused on, you know, some coach being accused of something or, or, you know, some fiscal issue or something like that. You lose track of the big stuff you're trying to do. So I learned from him um, dream big, um, start early. Uh, and then and then communicate like crazy because um, it's easy to get caught up in, um, well, we, we just talked about that for a long time in our office. So all of our employees probably know that by osmosis or something, right? I, I think leaders can fall into that trap. And so I'm like, you know, you just, you, you, once you talk about and you talk about it all the time, because um, Evan would say, they don't know if you don't tell them. And, and so those are just a few, but just he was, he was a... Uh, he was a great mentor to me and, and ended up being a close friend. So
2: your stint as chief of staff ends in 93. And then what was next? Because obviously there's still a big chunk of time between 93 and when you come to Indiana in 09. So what uh, what was the next step?
0: Yeah, I only planned to be in his in his office for a couple of years. I became chief of staff. And then he asked me to stay till the end of the legislative session which is usually ends like in March, but it was this rancorous session that didn't end until July. So I was like, God dang, you know, can I get out of here? So um, I went to uh, Baker and Daniels, which is a big firm in in Indiana and, uh, you know, came there with nothing. You know, I was uh, 30 four-year-old lawyer with no clients and uh, set about trying to build a law practice and enjoyed that. Got involved in firm leadership. I was uh, president of the management committee for five years, um, but got really involved in um, civic work and and, uh, and, and government and politics. My deputy chief of staff, when I was chief of staff, a guy named Bart Peterson, He was later elected mayor of Indianapolis, and then he appointed me to the capital improvement board which is like the stadium authority, you were talking about it, Eric, and and then that threw me into the uh, negotiations to keep the Colts and build Lucas Oil Stadium and ultimately pursue the Super Bowl, and so it's a lot of serendipity uh, at work. Um, um, but, But I was super fortunate to have those, you know, opportunities.
2: Yeah, well, it is funny when you look at your career, because you see, I mean, obviously the the time in politics and chief of staff with Governor Bay and like Ward was talking about leadership, you have a front row seat to somebody leading a state, which is only one of 50 people doing that. And then this job as on the improvement board, where you are doing facilities deals and improvements on facilities and having to negotiate deals for funding for the facilities. And I you know, I only know from what I read about how complicated those get when you have public money and private money and, but it does seem like all these things are kind of, you know, just building blocks for you for what you end up doing at Indiana. At any point during any of this, is Indiana University and potential of working there even on the radar screen for you? No. Yeah.
0: No. When Greenspan resigned, I was like, oh, that's, Curious, you know, I didn't, I didn't think uh, uh, really a bit about it other than how fans uh, might feel. But I, I'll, I don't know if this is a shameless plug or not. But, but the, the the name of my book is called "Making Your Own Luck: From a Skid Row Bar to Rebuilding IU Athletics." Hmm. And and, I, and I, I I it was a pandemic exercise, or I wrote this to preserve the family stories, right?
3: Sure. But
0: then I started going, you know, there's some themes here, and and without uh, boring you too much. I started to realize that I felt like at different points in my life, I had, I had sort of stumbled into making my own luck. Uh, identifying and seizing opportunities, you know, and I, and, I, and I started to identify some maxims about that. Um, you know, opportunities don't come at convenient times. Um, you know, the, the internship was an example of that. Um, also, you know, people will offer you opportunities and you may not feel like you're capable or ready to take them but that doesn't matter. What matters is the person offering you thinks you're ready. Like when Evan asked me to be in his office or Bart asked me to lead the Super Bowl effort. So um, I, I, and I, I, basically, I think coming from humble beginnings where I had nothing, um, I wasn't afraid to just shift gears and do crazy stuff. You know, I, 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 I was going to work for a big firm. Oh, this clerkship opened up with Judge Dillon and IU basketball knowledge. Er, you know, I was going to go back to a big firm. Oh, this small firm would be fun. Er, oh, the governor's offering me to be in his office. Er, oh, the, the, the search committee wants me to interview for the IUAD job. I thought that was the craziest thing I ever heard. But then I started thinking, you know, I've been a staff guy my whole life, happily. A lawyer's a staff guy. Um, you know, I was a, literally a staff guy in politics. The idea of running something, and, not, and and even if it was making widgets would have been kind of fun, But but this was like, College sports, kids, my alma mater, Bloomington, Indiana, Indiana University. I mean, I get chills thinking about it now. I'm like, man, I'm all in. And and then I I really went after it. And it was awesome. You know, I I love that opportunity.
1: Now, Before we get to that seminal moment, Eric knows he has to indulge me sometimes. I see the helmet back there. Huge lifelong Colts fan. And yes, it's known as the house that Peyton built but I had read somewhere where you really, as a lifelong Indianapolis guy, you knew about this concerted effort going back to the seventies. And, and you could even bring, you know, what Slick Leonard did with his wife to keep the Pacers in town. Hey, and there's Slick.
2: Nice, that's great. Rest his
1: soul, rest his soul. Um, and I just wonder in this time where you were leading the charge to get Lucas Oil going, and and that the Super Bowl and the NCAA rotation permanence that that Indianapolis would would have for Final Fours, how how much of that was just something you you really wanted Indianapolis to be this mecca for amateur athletics, and and was that really a driving force for you with all this incredible work you did? Well, for both amateur, and professional sports?
0: Well, it really was because it's my hometown, man. And, um, you know, I grew up a huge NFL fan. I was a Packers fan. I was 25 before the Colts moved here. Yeah. And I thought that was about the greatest thing that ever happened. I took off work as a young lawyer, went over to the RCA Dome when when, when Jim Ursay and Frank Cush um, – uh, not Jim Ursay, uh, his dad, Robert, Robert Ursay. Frank Cush, you know, and the mayor walked in and the place was packed. And I'm like, Dan Fouts is gonna be right down there. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be here and he's gonna be right in this place. I was crazy um, excited. And when Bart, and I'll, I'll spare you the long story, but when, when Bart became mayor, it was clear we were in danger of losing the Colts. Hmm. And, 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 and so one, emotionally, I didn't want that to happen. But clinically, I was like, we we can't let this happen. We are the stewards now. And and if we lose this team, we'll never, ever get another one. The the, the NFL was so pissed that Irsay put the Colts in the middle of all their other markets. that We would never get another team. And whether you like it or not, having an NFL team is the coin of the realm of whether you're a major league city. Mm -hmm. Um, beyond the more tangible benefits it spins off in terms of hotels and restaurants and bars and quality of life. And, you know, I noticed going around the country after the Colts came, suddenly Indianapolis was on the national weather map, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) just little things like, little things like that. So Bart and I were determined to do that. It was a complicated deal as you alluded to Eric, it ended up being a very political process with the state, but the bottom line was we were able to get it done and along with you know, building a new town square, Lucas Oil Stadium. And I do think it was the house that Peyton built because if the team wasn't doing as well as it was, I'm not sure we could have built the political will to make it happen. Sure. Um, so so I'm, I, I'm all for calling it the house that Peyton built. But, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that we positioned that, um, which is detailed you know, in detail in the book, Um, detailed that about how we can, um, uh, you know, make that happen. And it was a labor of love for me because I, I I, I didn't want to be in charge when we lost the Colts.
2: Well, you didn't, you kept them and you built an amazing stadium. And now let's get to that moment where you did get the phone call that the search committee for the next athletic director of Indiana wanted to talk to you. How did that come about? How did they, did somebody on the committee come up with your name or did somebody suggest you, how did that come to pass?
0: So the, the short version of this is that the uh, the chairman of the search committee is a guy named Bill Steffen, who's who's an awesome guy, uh, happened to be a classmate of mine in law school. Wow. Um, he's a big Republican, and I was a fairly prominent Democrat. And he had been Steve Goldsmith's chief of staff, who was the mayor before Bart Peterson became sure. mayor. So we switched. I think it had been 36 years since a Democrat had been elected in Indianapolis. So it was a potentially very acrimonious transition. and In fact, it, it was other than the principles involved. And I could have done some things that really would have jammed up our predecessor and all that, but I didn't because it was the wrong thing to do. And Bill and I, because I was the transition director for Barney. Got it. So Bill and I work really closely together. And I also tell this to like kids, you know, the athletes, it's a round world, brother. Yeah. You know? it's a round world. And, and if I had been a dick and and pushed around my newfound um, authority would, you know, 10 years later, Bill Steffen go, that guy didn't have the temperament to be the athletic director, but I, but I didn't, you know, and, and so I think Bill thought I was an intriguing, you know, candidate. I ended up interviewing with the um, committee, a quick story on that. So I go into this committee and it's like, this hoot, it's in, it's in the uh, banker's life Fieldhouse when it was Conceco because Jim Morris was, you know, a, a guy on this thing, yep. this room. And there was like Jerry Angley and, and, and Jim Morris and CM um, Newton and all these gigantic people. And I'm at the end of the table and I'm, you know, I don't know shit about anything. And, <laughs> and so um, I'm talking about what I'm talking about and, and, um, um, and they never asked me the question. Oh, and I had heard that that McRobbie's only charge to the search committee was, "Look, I don't care or know who this is, but it's got to be somebody who's been an AD before, because I got to have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing." <laughs> On so the single criterion, I'm a zero. <laughs> so, so I, so I go in there and um, go through the whole thing. I thought I made some good points. I had a plan. I'd done a lot of research, you know told them what I was going to try to do. And then, uh, and then they go, well, that's good. You know, thanks for the time. They never asked me about not having any experience. Mm. So I just said, Hey, um, you guys didn't ask me the obvious question and I need to address my lack of experience. And they're kind of like, look at their watches. Like they got some other guy that wants to come in. I go, you, you gotta, you gotta let me address it. So I just tried to tell them why I was the, um, uh, low risk, high reward choice. That you know, I'm not trying to get to the next job. That no matter what I do, I'm staying here to live with my decisions. That I've got a plan. I just told you the to plan, and and blah 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 blah. So um, that that was just important. Again, I tell kids that like I could have gone, man, I must have been so good. They don't even care about experience. But I think that would have been wrong. And then later on, I was told that. Uh, the, the president's chief of staff called and said, Fred has blew the room apart. And, uh, and so I think that interview got the committee thinking about me. And then once they supported um, the president, and the trustees ended up being comfortable with it.
2: Wow. Well, you arrive in Bloomington. And like you said, when you got there, you realized how bad everything was. Now, did you start realizing it before your first day of work, or did you have to get two feet in and in Bloomington before you realized? In many cases, literally the walls were falling down around you. Yeah, right. right.
0: Yeah. Um, you no, know, Eric, I, I found out before through these interviews, you know how how bad how bad it how bad it was, and and the thing is, the 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 team there didn't even really realize it, right? Because it was their normal. And, and part of it was saying to these guys, hey, this isn't normal because they were doing things you'd expect. Um, they didn't wanna color outside the lines. They didn't wanna take chances. Um, uh, they uh, thought that I was gonna come and go like everybody else had come and gone. In politics, we used to call them the weebies. You now you'd win an office and then there's the bureaucracy out there and they're like, we be here now We'd be here tomorrow and we'd be here long after your ass is gone. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think there was a weeby sense that I was going to come and go like everybody else. So part of my challenge, I think, was to try to create a spree decor core of this is why we're in this, you guys. And, and that's really how the, the five priorities came again. I, I don't know. i you know, I don't know.
2: Sure. The,
0: the Jesuits have this thing, the, the grad at grad, five characteristics that they want their high school graduates to have when they graduate, and, and it's everywhere, man. It's in the hallways. Teachers have to actually put it in their syllabus how they're going to inculcate these values and like organic chemistry and all this stuff that doesn't have anything to do with uh, the values. And, and that's that was that's that's something I ripped off, one of the many things I ripped off from the Jesuits. Like we're going to talk about what we're going to be about, and, and it may be more aspirational at first, but ultimately, hopefully, it'll be descriptive, and everybody's going to know that these are the five things and they're the five things in order, you know? Um, and, and I think that as it morphed into uh, 24 sports, one team, um, student athlete bill of rights, I didn't plan all that out, but it's, it's organic, you know, when you, when you know what you're about. And, and I think we changed the culture of the place.
1: Could We're- you list those to five? Because the, that was really your, your guiding principles as you're stepping into this mess.
0: Yep. And they're in order. Number one, we're going to play by the rules. You know, nothing else matters if you don't play by the rules. Um, if 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 athletics number one goal had been to play by the rules, we never would have hired Kelvin Sampson. Right. Um, because he was a documented cheater. Yep. Now I never would have got the job. So I suppose that's a bit of a you know, two edged sword. <laughs> um, uh, number two, um, we're going to be well in mind, body and spirit. We're going to take care of our kids. We're not going to put up with abusers. We're going to have uh, you know, good medical care we're gonna be well in mind, body, and spirit. Number three, we're gonna achieve academically. You know, you were kind enough to talk about our graduation success rate and all that. That doesn't just happen. We invested in uh, um, academic advisors and all that stuff. The excellent number student. four is we're gonna win championships. Okay. And 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 it's only number four where we get to sports, but I think I contend those first three are predicates on, on how you need to behave, but also to winning, okay. And we aren't there to be competitive or be right in there or get a participation ribbon. We specifically talk about winning championships. Now we may not always do that, obviously, but that's the goal and the resources and the attention to win championships. And then the last one is just to be integrated with the university. We don't wanna be a silo north of 17th Street, which is an awesome thing to say on shows like this, and like I polish my halo and say, isn't that great that, that we wanna be integrated with the university. It's actually selfish. Cause they've got all these resources over there and when i got there they were spending all this money in athletics to have their own hr function their own facilities function you know their 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 finance function it's like that's wasted money it's like all these experts over there so we took we eliminated like 12 positions saved a million and a half bucks and spent it on academic advisors strength conditioning coaches and the things that really matter to the kids
2: mm-hmm. um I want to get into individual sports, but before we do, because you hit on the five, the five priorities and how those led to other things like 24 sports, one team, or 24 teams, 24, 24 sports, one team. team. <laughs> you did, there, there is some criticism of you and your tenure at Indiana, and some of it revolves around that. And some of that criticism is that, look, when you're at Indiana University or Ohio State or Michigan or Notre Dame, there is a straw that stirs the drink on all of those places. And for sure at Indiana, it is the basketball program. And then football has the potential to really contribute to the bottom line. But this idea that 24 sports, one team takes away from the fact that it's living in a little bit of a naive world. That women's water polo is not as important as men's basketball. When it comes, it is to the athletes and it is to the families of the athletes and the coaches. But in the grand sense, when you're the athletic director, no, you've got to fix basketball. And if basketball is working and football is working, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. And you have received criticism for that. And I'm curious um, what your response to that critique is.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it would be fair criticism if um, the uh, emphasis on providing resources to other sports was at the expense of football and men's basketball but I think the record clearly reflects that it was not um let's start with football when I when I sat in that room at Conseco's boardroom I said the opportunity in Indiana is is football um number one it disproportionately uh, uh reflects your institution's standing and our and our institution's awesome and our football program's terrible number two there's lots of inventory you know I mean basketball financially has been doing about as well as it can do. Thank goodness to our, um, uh, fans and our media partners and all that. The the financial opportunity was in football, which is not only good for football, but it's good for everything else because we were leaving tens of millions of dollars on the table, um, that we could spend not only on football, but other sports in 2018, Michigan made the most money off football in the big 10 at $56 million IU was last. At six million dollars, right? Of Ohio course. State, $2. Michigan, and Penn State—all teams in the Big Ten East that we're expected to compete with—they make more money in one football game than we make in an entire seven-game home schedule. Wow. So, so, so that's that's part of the reason why football got a lot of attention. And, and you know, I, I I I'm proud to stand on my record with football closing in the north end zone, the south end zone. Totally. Um, you know raising the pay of assistant coaches, head coaches, um, you know, being the idiot that hires Tom Allen, the high school, you know, football coach was (laughs) not very well received. Um, So, so I, so I think we did uh, invest in football. And then if, if, if football was our most valuable opportunity, men's basketball was our most important opportunity. I get it, man. I mean, it's funny to me that people don't think I get it. I get it. Okay. I grew up in Indianapolis. I welcomed the 76 team. I partied in 81. No, literally nobody in the state of Indiana wanted to win at basketball more than me because I had everything guys like you have. Plus it was my job. Yeah. <laughs> so so, so, so I, 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 I get it. And everything's better. When you win in men's basketball, the legislators are happier. The donors are happier. The faculty is happy. The stakes could not be higher with men's basketball, and it, and it amuses me that people seem to think I didn't get that. Well,
2: you say it amuses you, but did it really amuse you, or did it piss you off?
0: It kind of amused me because you know, um, one of my maxims is to take criticism seriously, not personally, mm. and 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 that is like um, that is like a golden dagger, man. You know, if 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 you live, you can't go in the bunker. You, you got to listen to what's going on out there. You you got to hear it. You've got to take it seriously. But but I, I I'm sort of clinical about it. I, I don't I don't take it personally. My job is not who I am. You know, be, being that was a great um, uh, uh, Coach Hepner piece. And and if you can have that Jesuit detachment, that my job is important. I'm not important. Hey mm. man, that makes all the difference. And then and then makes it easy to leave big jobs some people are the chief of staff of the governor and they can't believe it that the day after they leave the lobbyists won't call them back anymore mm-hmm. i know they're not going to call me back anymore because <laughs> it was never about me it was about being chief of staff and i was cool leaving as ad because i never expected you know to have the accoutrement of being the ad because I, I ain't the ad i'm but just the, i'm just me so it's, it's a healthy perspective but
2: i mean you know look i work in the tv business and the chair, we call it the chair. like when you're the executive producer of a show or you're the executive in charge, the chair is intoxicating. It can be. And you know the accoutrement that you talk about uh, is enticing. and I think that you know your grounding, uh, your upbringing helped you maintain that throughout, but many people aren't able to maintain that because when you're in it and you're making decisions day in and day out, it is very difficult to separate. A critique of what is happening in the job versus a critique of you as a human, and right. and look, we live on the message boards. We see when things right. went wrong, people came after you. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. and
0: and no, that's a good point. I I talk a lot of smack about how you know aloof I am from the from the from the slings and arrows. I mean, you know, some of it hurts. You know, sure, sure. Um, so I, I'll acknowledge that, but I, I do think. I'm not good at that many things, but but I th- I think I'm good, at, pretty good at being detached. It, it made my wife wa- it made my wife a lot madder. sure. And it made me, you know. And they were they were ripping me. Um, and the thing I say about criticism is it's one thing or the other. It's either right. So if somebody's criticizing you and they're right, how can you be really pissed at them about that? And it's an opportunity to get better. And we did that a number of times. Names on the taking the names off the jerseys of right. football comes to mind. You know, it's like. Well, I wasn't dug in. I'm like, "Oops, shouldn't have done that." We'll put them back on, you know, um, or but or the criticism cannot be true, and then it's kind of like, "Okay, well, then why do I why do I care?" Right. I've listened to it. I've analyzed it. Now again, that's theoretical, and I'm a human, and it hurts to get ripped. And but I felt like I had it pretty well set. But to the to the original point, um, again, you know, there. There are people who say, well, the problem with IU basketball is institutional, man. There's got to be something wrong with the institution. Right. They're not supporting it. They are they got their heads up their asses. You know, It's got to be that. And I'm like, well, hmm, we spent $45 million to preserve the best home court in college basketball. A lot of people want me to tear it down and get rid of it. I think that would have been idiocy because um, it's an iconic venue that gives us a home court advantage. We, we raised and spent $45 million. fix that we spent millions of dollars uh to build uh well actually they started before i got there but they didn't pay for it so i had to raise the money to pay for cook hall (laughs) we spent millions of dollars to redo the locker room in cook hall we spent millions of dollars in assembly hall imagine this you guys we had five star recruits walk into that locker room in assembly hall that to me was like church you know that was bob knight's locker room you know it was spartan but it was like where bob knight did his thing and all that and the recruits are like i I don't think this is literally true indiana must not care about basketball Mm -hmm. look at this bullshit um locker room well we raised spent millions of dollars i don't know if you've been down there but but the the locker room the team center and all that down there down there i wrote a check to be part of it what do you mean there you go sorry (laughs) about that sorry about that but it matters thank you for writing that check because that matters. So we made those investments. I got ripped in the paper for misplaced priorities because Indiana IU men's basketball recruiting budget was the highest in the country by some big number. And I, t- I, I told him, I wear that as a badge of honor. I don't apologize for that. When Tom Crean came to IU, and um, um, as an aside, I will say that I, I think Tom Crean is underappreciated and did one of the most amazing jobs in the history of any university basketball. But when he came, and so remember my predecessor hired him. I come in January, it's his first season. And he sits down with me and he says very, very nicely. I think basketball is a charade, you know, the, the, I mean, not the fans or not anything else, but the idea that, that, that this is what big league basketball looks like is not right. And he was right. You know, now we were fixing part of it with the practice facility, and we were fixing – then we started fixing stuff with the way we traveled and the way we ate and all that. But but we we weren't – it was like when um, Shimbeckler went to Michigan. I don't know if you've read those books. And they yeah. were still yeah. – you know, they had nails on the walls and stuff like that. And he said, this isn't the way it's going to be. And and that's the same way I felt with Tom. And, and we started – building it to be like, no, we're going to be like, the kids are going to walk in the locker rooms, their eyes are going to pop and our venue, their eyes are going to pop. And the way we travel, they're going to be impressed. And Tom's going to go see whoever he wants to see, whatever he wants to see, because I'm not taking a backseat to anybody in recruiting. So, so I'm not sure. And, And, and we, you know, we paid our coaches, you know, top dollar. He got who he wanted on his staff. We added videographers and all that. I mean, we were, in my view, making the investments, but all you can do is control the process and the investments. You can't control the outcomes, and and we didn't always get the outcomes that we wanted. We didn't get the ultimate outcome I wanted. You know, I didn't want to leave before we hung the sixth banner. You know, mm-hmm. um, but but to bring it full circle, I I contend that the um, um, philosophy of 24 sports one team was good for the entire department, including football and including men's basketball in part because um, they didn't want for anything. Okay. Football, men's basketball did not want for anything. Um, and-
2: Can I can I push back on one thing there? Sure,
0: sure. Um, football only uh,
2: weight training facility. Uh-huh. That some other of our competitors in the Big Ten have that, a football only weight room, we do not. Uh, that was a decision that was made. I know you defended it pretty forcefully when it happened. But when you say they didn't want for anything, are you telling me that the head coach of football didn't want a football-only weight facility?
0: Well, I went in there when it was built, So I don't know what Bill Lynch thought. Um, right. And and you must have had lunch with Jeff rapjohns or something because that's his <laughs> one trick pony that he wants to talk about all the time. Um, well, I'm just curious. I mean, it did you... I, I think reasonable... I, I think, first of all... The only thing that's not football only in football is the weight room so sometimes we get painted with this brush that they're nowhere and all that but i, I hope I, I don't know if you're a donor also to the football uh, i am <laughs> like thank you but how spectacular is that you know oh, right no, it, right in there and, and all and all that
2: Fred, but, i'll be uh, honest with you i never bought the criticism of you when it came to this stuff, I never understood because in front of our eyes, we saw the improvements. Oh, I never yeah. understood it. The, the weight room thing, look, I don't know. I don't play football. So I don't know if that's important to kids or to coaches. I don't know. So I read stuff and it was criticism and you did defend it pretty forcefully. Right. So right. it became a thing. But right. look, the bottom line is that there was even, I, I get what you're saying about we can only control the process. The results never matched what we wanted. Early on in football and, truthfully, basketball for the last however many years,
0: so then you're looking for reasons, right? People, oh, yeah, get, hey, look look. Um, well, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to sure. The the I think reasonable people can disagree about the football only thing. Okay. Football only weight room and you sell what you got, right? So other schools will be like, well, Indiana's bullshit because they don't have a football only thing, but I I don't think dealing with um, first Kevin Wilson and then Tom Allen that they ever felt like they didn't have enough time, enough space and, 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 and all that. So I, I don't think it has been an issue. Okay. I think the guys like it um, when they get the football players, when they get to meet players on other teams in the locker room, I will tell you that it's a huge plus for our other teams, not because, Oh, we're equal. It's because they see how hard those guys work. Mm-hmm. You no. Know, when you're the softball team or the golf team, and you see how hard the football guys kill it, it's a competitive thing. And similarly, when you're a football player and you see, you know, the women's tennis team, you know, getting after it, or the field hockey team, it creates a healthy competition. I think one of the really benefits of 24 sports one team is those kids feel connected, and they go to each other's games, and they feel supported. And and a lot of that comes. I'm just telling you, it comes out of the locker room. So I don't think we've paid any price other than maybe some recruiting challenges um, because people, you know, try to stick it, stick it to us. Um, But I think the players like it. And I think when kids come on campus and our and our current players who are best recruits in every sport say, no man, this is good. I I think it's been, I think it's been fine. And it wasn't an economic choice. It's a philosophical choice. and And I think it's a good one. But reasonable people can disagree about that. And I get it.
2: Well, I, can I just button that word real quick? and sure. atten- to you. I mean, I don't need to give you arguments to make to defend yourself. But what I would say is it's still not a football-only locker room. And Tom Allen had us as a top-10 team in the country. And there is no better story in the nation in college football right now than Indiana University football. And nothing has changed with the locker room. So if you wanted to decry it a couple years ago – what the hell is your argument now? So that is what I would say is a button on that.
0: That That's the best argument there is. You <laughs> I like that. And the, the one thing I was going to say is to your point, which is so right on um, when things aren't going well, people look for reasons yeah. and, and maybe some of the reasons are fair. And maybe some of the reasons aren't. So the bottom line is you have to win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of master the obvious, but you have to win. You have to win. So it's a results-oriented business. You and 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 um, Chuck Knoll said, if you want to silence the critics, you got to beat their ass. And 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 that and that's it. And and, and I and I and I, I live there, and I'm 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 okay with that. I get that. You know, Bill Polian told me one time, winning cures cancer, and he's he's not <laughs> too far off because if you don't win, no matter what you're doing, it's not right and it's not enough. It's true.
1: Well, and so we talk about facilities right sort of the uh, foundational element of of just letting recruits know you're serious about your sports and, and memorial stadium goes from looking like it could be in the mac to now it's looking like a big 10 facility you have cook hall now which at the time was really ahead of its time um obviously the, the assembly hall renovation comes a little bit later but I think it it would be fun to get your perspective of after those initial conversations with Tom Crean of really like, you know, hey, we're, we're six and 25, but I, I don't think anybody could argue there wasn't a, a better man alive to pull IU out of the darkest depths of program history. And I'm wondering from your point of view, charting those first few seasons. And I know you've said before that the watch shot is, Obviously one of your favorite memories as it is for all of us over the last 20 years. What was it like the, the patience, seeing the progress, just watching that evolution go from being the worst we've ever been to being the number one team in the country.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm literally not sure there's another coach alive who could do what Tom cream did. Wow. Because, um, that guy, that guy is that guy is determined and and passionate and a hard worker and doesn't take no for an answer and I I think him getting us through those first couple of years where it was just god awful I'm not sure anybody else could have done it and he didn't bitch about it at all he got sold something different at the recruiting office than it was when he arrived at boot camp hmm. and he never ever. Um, complained, pined for Marquette, any of that. Um, and we were, you know, we had, you know, I mean, you guys know the story as well as I do. So so it was awful. Uh, the watch shot was important. And I, I want to take a minute here because, you know, those very, very few and quiet critics out there like like to take my affinity for the watch shot and kind of stick it up my ass because it's like, it was a regular season game, you know, mm-hmm. even in the tournament, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah but there's very few times in sport where everything changes. And we were suddenly relevant again nationally. And we weren't where we wanted to be. It didn't hang a banner. It didn't give us a ring. I I get that. But I will always uh, hallow the watch shot because in that moment, We became nationally relevant. It became okay to believe again. And it was just so damn dramatic. I was sitting there with my son, Connor, who was a student at IU. And you know, one of the the great things about the job is I sat right behind Chuck Crabb for God's sake. It's awesome. So this thing goes in, I turned to them to like say something, he's gone. (laughs) (laughs) He jumped over the press thing and jumped on the dog pile with the kids, you know? And so how great, how great is that? so um, just with, 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 with Tom's years, so, you know, that was a great year. We made the Sweet 16 sort of early, you know, and then, um, you know, had all these uh, great players, some heralded players that he was able to recruit and then some unheralded players that he brought here. And they they blossomed. And so Tom did a lot of great, great, great things to the program. Two outright titles in four or five years, um, um, which is not anything to uh, sneeze at. Um, you know, no banner. I know at Indiana we don't celebrate Sweet 16s, but he proceeded into, you know, some some later in the tournament. We had that game um, at uh, Syracuse, which I think um, people that say that he didn't know how to coach against the press are just, you know, looking for reasons, Eric, I guess you'd say. there. I think there were a lot of reasons why that ended up happening. I think it's unfair to leave it totally at his doorstep. Um, so, but You know, after this 2017, he had three years left on his contract. And I felt like I had a decision to make. And he was only one year removed from an outright Big Ten title, one year removed from uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year. Um, And if I thought he was the right guy, his body of work would have been more than enough. Totally. To keep him, you know? But I just didn't believe he was. And I felt like I either had to um, extend him. Um, to send a message of support, um, not extend him, which I think he would have been dead man walking and every little thing would have gotten blown out of proportion, or make a change. And I decided, you know, uh, to make a change. But, but, but it's not because I was looking down my nose at his success, because if I had believed, if I had believed that he would have uh, been successful in the future, that would have been fine. But ultimately, it wasn't.
2: So I want to just take a moment here because, look, we've talked to enough people that have been around Tom, and we hope to talk to Tom on the show, actually, and, and hope he'll come on and have, and have optimism that he will. But there were clearly things going on behind the scenes, a lot of things that ended up leading to the demise of, of Tom from like the pinnacle. But I do want to talk about the extension you did give him because you also received some, some criticism, not that much in the moment, clearly, because everybody was happy with what was going on. But in retrospect, you've received some criticism that we just didn't need to do that extension the way we did it at that moment. Any regrets on that
0: extension at that moment? No, you know, I don't have any regrets about anything. Um, really? I made, yeah, I, I made mistakes, lots of them. Um, and, and, and um, I, I have disappointments, you know, a lot of those, but a regret to me is if based upon the same information, you, you would have, you whiffed at something that you, you should have done A and, and and you did B. And, and I got to say, really not that they were all right, but, but I don't, in the moment, based on what I know, I, I would have done the things I did again and, um, not that again, you got to treat praise and criticism as the as the imposters that they are, but you may recall, I announced Tom's extension in front of 17,865 people and they went crazy.
2: They did. <laughs> and, but that, that is the, the by the way, that's kind of some of the swagger that I was talking about before. Most ADs don't do that. Right. They right. don't do it on the microphone on home court before the opening tip. And you're right. Everybody was excited. I am curious though like that was 2000 and before the 2012-13 season that that extension happened. When did you start in your head to go something ain't right here? Because like well, you said we win the Big 10 in 2000 the year before you you made the decision we win the Big 10. I have to think that it didn't just happen in those 10 months, right? Something must have been happening with you
0: behind the scenes. Well, first, I will confess to a certain amount of showmanship on the announcing the, the <laughs> extension. And, and I will tell you that it, it kind of went back to when, when, when we got a deal with the Colts. Um, we announced it at halftime of Sunday night football with um, all the key players. And, and then we showed a video of what the new stadium was going to look like, which was done to put heat on the legislature, uh, the state legislature of we've done our thing. If wow. we lose the Colts, it's on you guys. I like it. And everything we did was was oriented. And Eric is a you know a political person. He'll appreciate that was creating the pressure that legislature, governor. If this doesn't happen, it's on you because I did what I was supposed to do. Right. And that wasn't really the thing with Tom. That was more for fun. Yeah. Um. But also to create some momentum. Um, at that time, I thought Tom was the right guy, and that deal is what it took to get him. Sure. And and there wasn't a uh, brandy or a fine girl moment with with Tom. Um, it was just the accumulation of, I had to make that decision. I will tell you too, that I very, 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 very seriously considered and thought that I was going to keep him. Mm. Um, when we went to Georgia tech and lost, um, Barb hugged Joni and said, it's going to be okay because I told Barb, I, you know, I thought it was going to be okay. Wow. But when, when push came to shove, and I sat down in my little office. Actually, it's a fairly nice office. When I sat down in my office, <laughs> um, I was just like, I and I just gone through the shit with Kevin Wilson. This was the second power coach in a hundred days hmm. that I separated from, and I was I was a little I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And and I also um, respected what he had done for the program, um, but I just in good conscience. I, I I had to make a change. And it wasn't an aha moment and, and it wasn't a philosophical difference like you know Kevin. Kevin. So there's there's no there, there, there's no, you know, intrigue or something like that. Um, you know, I want to be clear about that. It was just that as the steward of the program, I thought we needed to make a, a change.
1: And and you know, this is a career defining decision. You know, this, the implications, the hopes and dreams of Hoosiers everywhere hinge upon this. How much is it? Here's a list of pros and cons of, of keeping him or letting him go. And I'm going to add that up. And that's my decision. How much is it a gut
0: feeling? It's both my, my MO is, um, on big decisions, is to um, make the list. I'm, I'm an anal person by nature, so I make the exact list you describe. But then I sort of let it wash over me and 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 and, and let let my brain t- tell me what the right thing to do is. And then Ignatian style, I try them on.
3: Mm.
0: You know what feels better. I spend a day pretending like I decided to keep them. And then I spend a day pretending like I decided to make a change. And that's an amazing exercise to me, for me, to help me get in touch and see the holes and, 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 and all that. And, I, and I, I do that on big deals. I, I did that really with Tom. Hmm.
2: Have you talked to Tom since? Mm-hmm. And have those conversations been cordial?
0: Um, I'd say Yes. <laughs> would, he say, would he say yes I, I, I don't know look um, it's just such argue. a tough dynamic I mean look I've been it, in situations it, where it, I've it, let people you guys it's it's the worst thing ever
2: Yeah,
0: it is the worst thing ever because one of my things is they're your coach till you're not and and, and I'll, I'll take Tom's, Tom's situation out of it but in some cases you hire a coach in some cases you inherit a coach but especially on your major sports you're living and breathing every day to try to make them successful. Right. And you wanted to be successful and you're shoulder to shoulder and you're doing everything. And then one day you're not. And I think to a coach that feels like the ultimate betrayal, you know, what is this bullshit? You know, you were there, 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 there. And then you're telling me no. Now in Tom's case, I told him in three separate personal meetings that this was a possibility I told him what my three choices were. So, so hopefully it's never a surprise. It's a bad deal of a coach. The first they hear of it or think of it is when you do it, you know, you need to try to talk to him about it, give him chances to change or this or that, but, but you're in the foxhole with them and then, and then, and then you're not. And I just think, Hey, it's really, really hard to get fired. And it feels like a betrayal from the guy that was there kind of supporting you. And so, um, but, but, I, but I think that's a part of the job, you know, I, and, and, and it's, and again, I'm not, this isn't any particular coach. Amuse may be the wrong word again, Eric, but it kind of amuses me when people are like, how could he be such an idiot and not see this or not see that or stick with this? And it's like, guess what? You know, most people do, but they're your coach till they're not, you know?
2: Yeah, so then you're in the hardest part. I mean, it, it's it, the hardest part is to let somebody go. I, I've had to deal with that, and it is awful. It, I mean, you're impacted. Did you have that. to give a
0: press conference after it to talk about it? <laughs> no. But seriously, but, think about that. You no, I, I can't. Horrible, horrible thing, and then you go out there, and the Kevin Wilson press conference was particularly that, the case because I just wasn't going to talk about, talk about it. Right. And that was hard, you know, but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, but then you've
2: got to hire somebody. And like Ward said, it's career defining. It's what matters at Indiana. And the narrative from the outside is that you honed in on Archie pretty early in the process. That was your guy. Maybe there was somebody on the board of trustees, like a Quinn Buckner who was also in the camp of Archie Miller. And there wasn't an exhaustive search. And I'm giving you the, the perspective of the, the critique And that the Indiana guy thing, which reared its head during this last search also, that there were several Indiana guys who felt disrespected during the the search. Um, I know you don't have any regrets. That's not how you look at life. Do you think you made any mistakes? And I'm not even talking about ultimately hiring Archie because on paper, this is an academic conversation. Most people were excited about Archie because of what he had on paper. But do you think you made any mistakes on how you handled the communication with the various people who wanted to be candidates?
0: Um, so so the context is um, my predecessor was in my view, appropriately criticized for refusing to talk to potential Indiana-based candidates when, when he hired Tom. Yes. And I was determined not be not for that not to happen in in my search and in fact I was very open to hiring you know an IU guy and as you may or may not recall um I got ripped in the press conference for talking about my that it would be a positive I think I said double check plus I'm anal and literally on the on my (laughs) thing I give double check pluses And what's his name (laughs) that sports illustrated guy Pete Thamel he was in Indianapolis because was, it was tournament time. He came down and ripped me first for that and then for saying what a great job Indiana is. And he said, I need to see the guy's members-only jacket because he's stuck in the 80s, mm-hmm. okay? So I'm getting ripped for saying it's a good job. I'm getting ripped for saying I might hire an Indiana guy, which I certainly thought was a possibility. And I don't talk about candidates or, or other searches. And if, if, and if those folks, it's their secret to tell is my view, you know? But I will tell you that um, I talked to, well, I talked to a bazillion people whose judgments I value, um, basketball people. um, And, um, but I did talk to probably half a dozen um, potential candidates on the phone. And they were conversations. And I would not challenge a description that, it was was not an interview, it was more of a conversation. Because to me, they were conversations, including Archie. My first interaction with him was a conversation just like it was for the other, you know, potential candidates who who have interest. Um, Based upon, in part, those conversations, but mostly what I felt like it was a pretty exhaustive evaluation of, the candidates, you know, I I would do a tabletop evaluation, which is everything I can learn from them, about them, statistics, you know, history, watching all their press conferences, watching their games, what are their, what's their demeanor like, you know, and then, and then, so tabletop is one, number two is talking to people in the biz, you know, people that know a lot more about basketball than I do, you know, what do they think, and then table, uh, um, exercise three is, Interacting in a substantive way with a candidate. So, for for better or worse, after doing all that stuff, um, you know, Scott and I went out to see Archie in uh, in San Francisco, and so he was the only guy I interviewed in person. But he got the same treatment as the other guys in in phase in phase one. So, you know, it's 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 a results-oriented business. I get that. I don't think I would have done anything uh uh differently um and i think i probably would have made that same same higher you know so
1: well and it was roundly applauded there there was really nobody coming in from left field saying it's not going to work because of this there really wasn't a strong argument i think the greatest criticisms were probably from the night era players guys who all really felt that was important to bring that back um, but it was it was roundly given the thumbs up. And then we, we look at those four years and and it's still a mystery and maybe will always be as to why it didn't work. You know, timing, fit, uh, luck, whatever these things might be. Do you spend any time trying to figure out why such a strong decision on paper did not bear fruit, at least in the time it was given?
0: Um, not really. You know, if I was still AD, I would, because it'd be my job. But one of the things I was glad to walk away from was that. So, yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't. The one thing I might observe, um, I'm not sure this is relevant to anything, but it's sort of interesting to me. I, I think you accurately said that if, that if anybody uh, was upset about the uh, Archie hire, it was night era, you know, former players, or at least some, or at least really loud ones, or at least some that have a radio show in Indianapolis or, you know, (laughs) What? It it could be anybody. Yeah. It could be anybody. Um, but interestingly, when Bill Orwig hired coach Knight, the McCracken players were apoplectic, (laughs) seriously, you know, uh, Lou Watson had, 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 had had followed McCracken, former player Lou Watson uh, gets fired. And they hire this 27-year-old guy from Army. And you know, Bobby Leonard, God rest his soul, and, and and all those great players from McCracken's era were crazed. And so, oops, and so um uh so the Knight becomes the gold standard, appropriately so. I mean, god, what an incredible thing. And I thought Archie was gonna be Bob Knight. I thought Archie was gonna be the young. Guy that wouldn't look at any other schools that, you know, came to our place and, you know, all, the, all the stuff, you know, that, uh, that, I, that I, that I thought um, and, and, and becomes the new, the new Bob Knight. You remember Lou Watson used to introduce Bob Knight as the guy that took the hurrying out of the Hoosiers. Yeah. Because we were known for this up-tempo style of play. Right. And at first Indiana people were pissed about, you know, his style of play. Now that went away quick because guys, you know, the best coach, in Indiana history and maybe any any college history, um, so so that's another way where I try to keep it in perspective. Yeah, I, I respected the Indiana uh, uh, connection, and um, um, and and I think I talked to everybody that, that I thought was um, um, interested um, uh, in it, and I thought Archie, you know, Pittsburgh guy, Midwest guy, he felt like a lot a lot like a guy from the region. I he felt uh, pretty hoosiery to me, but.
2: I, well, I, I agree with that on paper. It's look, sometimes things just don't work out right. And, and, and for all best intentions, I do want to end the basketball conversation on a high note, which is it did happen in your tenure that Bobby Knight returned to Indiana university. And I know because I was just thirsty for any piece of information you met with coach Knight early, like, early on in your tenure. That was something that you wanted to happen behind the scenes. I think you were really uh, insightful and intelligent about how to do it in that you didn't talk about it because that is not something Coach Knight and Coach Knight's wife would appreciate. But I'm wondering if you can give us the short version of just what that arc was like for you from beginning to end and why it was important for you to pay it the energy that you did behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, so um... Bob Hamill brokered a, a lunch was supposed to be a lunch meeting with uh, coach Knight. We ate at Rick's boatyard cafe up in Indianapolis. He was getting ready to do a game at Purdue. That lunch became a five and a half hour meeting where I just had the greatest time ever. We talked about politics and military history and, you know, not much about sports. Hmm. And I think I, I, I'll never, uh, suggest that, that I was his friend or, or even a really strong acquaintance, but I, I do think it took the edge off a little bit that, that I wasn't, I, you know, I, I hadn't been there before. Most of the people hadn't been there um, before. And I think that was a good basis. And then we actually corresponded, um, over time, you know, in, in the ensuing years, when we put him in the hall of fame and, you know, when there was going to be a, a reunion and, and, um, um, and, and, you know, I'll cherish those letters, you know, from, from, from him. Um, but, but, but sort of to your point, Eric, he, the, the worst thing I could do is hotbox him. If he, if he, if he felt hotboxed, then I was going to get what I was going to get. So my big goal was to remove impediments to um, him him coming back. Like we had this silly rule that you couldn't go in the hall of fame unless you appeared. And I get the reason for it, but that just became a, an unnecessary impediment to him joining the hall of fame. And 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 the credibility of our hall of fame was at stake if he wasn't in it, right? I mean, right. it had to be so my first class of Hall of Famers, he he went in. Um, um, but when all of a sudden that I knew it was gonna have to be him reacting to the players. And to make a long story short, um the uh, the uh, anniversary of the of the of the 80 I think Big Ten championship team, um Randy Whitman it all really goes to Randy Whitman and Quinn Buckner. Um, Randy made the initial conversation. Um, they represented the players. Um, they uh, kept it from getting out of control because as you might imagine everybody wanted to be in the middle of it. But, but they had the uh, bona fides to uh, basically keep other people out. You know, well, if it's Randy and Quinn, then then they're doing the right things. They totally drove everything. We, the athletic department, were facilitators, but we made it players. It's a player-driven piece. Um, and I got so caught up in the nuts and bolts of it that I sort of lost the broader cosmic importance of it till it actually happened. I was sitting next to Mark Cuban, my classmate, and he said, man, you did it. and 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 I just got all these chills, and I almost fainted, you know, because when he walked on that court, man. We were there. And the fans did what they did and the players did what they did. That was spectacular. And I'm so glad he got to feel that love, you know, um, in person. Um, the, the reason it's important to Indiana basketball beyond it's the right thing to do is that Indiana basketball has paid a horrible price for being disengaged from its father. Um, North Carolina's got the Dean Dome the Wizard of Westwood was at UCLA, the Judd Heathcote, Tom Izzo connection. I mean, nobody's known more for the support of their alums in Michigan State. Um, Rupp Arena. I mean, if you think of, you know, Coach K still at at, um, at Duke, if you, if you compare us to the people we like to compare ourselves to, they all had the benefit of their founder and, and, and prime person, and we were denied that. And so... Our players weren't sure. Do I come back? Is that going to make Coach mad? I'd like to come back, or maybe I don't want to come back, or maybe I've got a grudge. I'm, it's um, it was just it was super divisive, and so it, it felt like for so many years IU basketball was like Peyton Place that the that the gossip and the and the infighting and all the crap was 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 overwhelming what we were really trying to get at. And I think part of that was because we had this fundamental breach of the family. Mm. And when coach Knight walked, sort of like the watch shot, when coach Knight walked on that court, everything changed. You could feel it, man. If you were there, you felt it. The family was together. Um, And that's not to say we don't continue to have challenges in this and that. Um, But that was huge. And, and, and I think in some ways for me, it was the final, brick and relaying the foundation of IU athletics, you know, because bas- men's basketball, it's the most important uh, piece. And it, it just wasn't going to get there until the coach night reconciliation happened.
1: And I think because we'd like to move over to football, too, there's there's always kind of a two steps forward, one step back. There's like tearing it down to the studs and, and building up the foundation and and i think there's there's absolutely no doubt iu basketball right now is Primed for success with all the work that you put in and everybody around you did, that Coach Woodson now comes into a great situation. And, you know, even, even with, with Archie and the APR and the, the academic success and no violations, all of these kind of things is just walking into a great situation. Now, in football, you, besides uh, uh, some, some glorious years with Coach Mallory, which were long in the rearview mirror. Um, and then the tragedy of Coach Hepner. You're, you're coming into uh, a program that has very little history, very little pressure upon it, um, but that clearly is not how you want it to remain. So how did you go about identifying uh, ultimately Coach Wilson? Because I know letting Coach Lynch go was another miserable moment in your career. But how did you go by, uh, about identifying him? And then, And then what was that like? While, while Coach Crean was over here bringing us back to national prominence, here's Coach Wilson now bringing us to bowl games, which was, you know, for people of a certain age, they didn't even know what that was.
0: Yeah, so... um Rebuilding or some would say building football was a key element of my meeting with the search committee my conversations with the trustees and the president. So I felt like I I had at least the constructive endorsement of the leadership to do what I felt like needed to be done in football. We've already talked about why I thought that was important. I mean, you talked about it looking like a Mac thing. I don't remember that chain link fence, the barbed wire on top. I walked around there, I asked Dolson, I said, is is that to keep people out or keep people in? So, um, made the decision with Bill quick aside on that. I think Bill's awesome. I don't think he had a chance. You know, I think, um, with coach Hepner sick for two years, he's trying to recruit, you get who you get. Um, and, um, and then you get, you know, and because of that, you get beat by, um, Wisconsin, 83 to 16 or whatever it was. Um, I, I, I don't think it was his fault. I don't think in some ways he's got a fair chance, but, but, but it's a results-oriented business, right? So I felt like I had to make a change. Did I felt like a really, um, um, you know, comprehensive search. And uh, and Kevin just checked all the boxes, you know. He, he'd won at non-football places like Miami and Northwestern. He saw what a real football school looked like at, at Oklahoma. He was the Broyles Assistant Coach of the Year Award winner. He was widely recognized as an offensive genius. Um, all the personal... References checked out. Not just the ones he gave me, but the ones that I would check on. Seemed like a family person and a and a grounded person. He worked for uh, Stoops, who was known as a as a as a work smart, not hard. You know, not ridiculous. You know, so it just seemed like the tree and everything uh, made sense. There's even a Mallory connection with Coach Walker at right at Miami. So. Um, So I was very enthusiastic about Kevin and, and, um, I really think he took us to a new level of the program much better than he had found it. I kind of forget the statistics now, but you know, two bowl games in 25 years, the first time ever, three wins against Purdue in a row, blah, 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 blah. We, we, we had it going on and I, and I, um, but, um, we just didn't agree on the way the team needed to be led. And, um, And I thought ultimately that would hurt our ability to win um, and and potentially worse. And so I decided to make a change.
2: Were you, how much did the pressure from the outside the ESPN stories, some of the stories that were being written, some of the players that were complaining publicly that that reached the public sphere about how they were being treated. um, I assume you knew all that before we did. So, um, and, and then I also, if you can, put it as part of this, this is the, this, while, while Tom was a very tough decision cream, you didn't hire Tom cream, right. Kevin was your hire. And now you're having to make the decision to let him go. Does that add another layer of complexity and difficulty to the decision?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately you decide what you decide based on what's going on, but it hurts more I told Scott, I said, it's real fun when you start because you're fixing the other guy's mistakes. What sucks is when you have to start fixing your mistakes. Right? <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a there's a component of that um, um, for sure. But as you may recall, most of those um, things didn't really come out until after we'd already done what we had, what right. we had done. So, so it really didn't. But there were it, some
2: stories about Kevin that just kind of I'm circulated. Sure. Right. That fueled some of that stuff that came out later. Right. Right. Um, Did that shock you when you started hearing that stuff? I mean, it had to have just like hit you kind of from
0: a blind side. Yeah, it did. But 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 the but the sexiest, funnest ones—they just weren't true. (laughs) It's like it's like um, it, it, it. It still amazes me today. And maybe the social media exacerbates it but you will you will you will hear these super specific things about somebody like it's with this guy she's with this guy in this hotel on this thing or whatever i'm not this isn't about kevin at all this is like sure. a political sure. uh, rumor from way back and you hear it at your kid's soccer game and you hear it at the coffee shop and you're like that has got to be that's gotta be true, right? Yeah, I mean, so it's specific. so specific. <laughs> and I'm here for so many people and it's just not true. I mean, there was a, there was a rumor in the buy administration that was super specific. Everybody was talking about it. And I knew for a fact that it wasn't true, you know? And you would hear these things about Kevin, super specific, you know, in Mooresville, after this game, blah, 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 blah. And it just wasn't true. So I'm just telling you the most salacious, crazy stuff. It just wasn't true. Now there was other stuff that 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 you know was the foundation for our philosophical disagreement, and 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 um, and, and, and 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 I will and tell you this too. They they weren't standing alone. They weren't worthy of capital punishment. It wasn't like he did something so egregious that you have no choice but to do it. So I I don't want him to get hung with that. that There was some sort of thing like that, but, but it was, it was more like repeated misdemeanors that you're on notice not to do that anymore. You did that more. I I, I can't, you know,
2: and it is fighting one of your five, you know, pillars of what you want Indiana to be. I mean, so what are your principles if you're not going to stand up for them?
0: you know so i think kevin's a really good guy i think he's a good football coach Uh, fun guy um when um when uh, gene smith called me about him coming to ohio state i said as a coordinator working for urban meyer i think that's his sweet spot i think it'll be awesome so um i I don't want him to be cast as a bad guy i don't think he is a bad guy Um, um and as i said at the press conference I don't want this to sound too self-serving, but i but i but I believe this. what's okay at other places may not be good at indiana university. our Our fans um, expect a, a certain um, way you comport yourself. and um, I think other schools have gotten themselves in trouble by looking the other way when people have had success.
1: Something that's much more fun to talk about is the decision you had to make to to keep this like defensive coordinator from Ben Davis around. Uh, another one of the great things Coach Wilson did was identify this Tom Allen guy and bring him into the program. So can you talk a little bit about how you got to know Tom while he was defensive coordinator and how you went about deciding to make him not the interim coach, but but the head coach?
0: Yeah, so um, I do give Tom great credit or uh Kevin, great credit for identifying Tom. I remember walking around and around my dining room table, talking to him for like 45 minutes, trying to recruit him to Indiana as the defensive coordinator. Um, I will also say that you know, in some ways, Tom, in, in some ways, Tom Allen is an overnight sensation, a decade in the making. Because um, if we hadn't made those investments in football, and and he couldn't see that it was different in Indiana, um, I'm not sure he leaves Florida. You know for that and um and then I saw him up close man I saw him how he uh not only x and o'd so well but um um just changed the culture of that defense and 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 to a certain extent changed the culture of the team and I told Scott Dolson I said you know if, if Kevin gets another gig which I thought maybe he'd be so because su- if you're successful in Indiana in football you can kind of do whatever you want and I thought he might go back to North Carolina or whatever you know I said, I'm, I'm going to hire Tom Allen because I've seen him up close, um, you know, um, and I, I just I just thought he was, you know, the guy. So, so when we had to make the change with um, Kevin, you know, I turned to, to Tom. And I will tell you this, um, I, I had considered making a change with Kevin the year before. Um, and I had been out in the marketplace sniffing around what coaches might be available. And... So I kind of knew who else was out there and I'm like, well, I like, I like my guy more than all these guys. So, so it wasn't as blind as, as um, some suggest I had a sense of what was out there and just because I'd seen Tom so close, I was willing to do that. But um, as you suggested, it wasn't universally well-received, including in my own house, Barbara thought I was crazy. So (laughs) You know, it's, it's hard to get yim-yammed out there, but when you're getting yim-yammed in your own house, it's even, <laughs> uh, it's even tougher. Well, you it, said
1: being around uh, these politicians, these people grinding it out um, with legislator, that, that there's no magic. But even just interacting with Tom Allen over Zoom a couple of times or seeing him in a press conference or on the sideline, I'm not going to say it's magic. But that man is a force of nature like very few people in existence. And, and I can't imagine that that's not just so infectious for you and you see its effect on uh, the players and the staff around him, that that's got to be a huge part of why you believe in him, not because of his resume. Yes, he was making IU better on the defensive side than maybe we've ever been, but it's got to be his energy more than anything that, that sold you on him.
0: Connection with the players, man. He's just so authentic. You know, Bill Polian told me that if a coach is going to be successful, number one, the kids have to believe that you care about them as people. And number two, they have to believe you can make them better. And Tom had both of those things um, in spades. And you, you, you never know. People that say they know, they don't know. You know, I've thought I've known and been surprised both ways. Um, I, I felt like I knew with Tom. I mean, I was very confident, and, and and that made it comparatively easy to take all the uh, criticism that, that went with that, including when he didn't have results as early as people kind of expected or wanted, but, but you know, I, I, I could see it. I could see it building. I could see it going, and, you know, I, I felt very confident with him. Since we're on the
2: topic of football, we would be remiss to not bring up the incredible statement that you made at the end of our last football season when the entire fan base was in in an uproar over what seemed to be us getting, how should I say it, screwed by the powers that be when it came time for bowl selection. And we were looking to our leaders to say something, and they took the classy path. I mean, they kind of took the path that they had to take. But you were no longer the AD of Indiana at the time. And you made that point when you made a statement about it. And I was hoping that you could just kind of expound a little bit on why you decided to say something then, and then a little bit of the content of it. But let's start with the why.
0: Sure. So it kind of goes back to what I think was the first um, and, and let me start this by saying, I think the high road was absolutely the right way to go by Scott and Tom and I would have done the same thing in their position. And I, I think they handled it exactly the right way all the way down the line. Um, but the first episode where they had like the six game rule, you had to, or whatever it was, you had to play okay. so many games and they they removed the requirement so that Ohio State could make the um, Championship game and the and 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 really preserve its ability to get into the into the Final Four. First of all, I thought that was the absolute right decision. Okay, um, sure it was a rule, but it wasn't like a sixty-year rule or an eighty-year rule <laughs> or something. You know, it was a six-week rule in a pandemic. And um, the conference has an interest in putting a team in that could get in the in the Final Four of the college football playoff. We wouldn't be that team. Ohio State could be that team. They needed that opportunity. They beat us on the field. And so I was cool with that,
2: you know. I agree
0: with you Um, on that one. I hated
2: it from a fan's perspective. I hated it, but logically it made sense.
0: Right. And I bring that up because it impacted my view the next go around when the uh, college football playoff committee uh, didn't put us in the New Year's Six. And um, I thought that was an outrage. You know, we were the first, uh, it was the first year in the college football playoff era where two Big Ten teams hadn't made it into the New Year's Six. And I'm telling you, if the second place team had wings on their helmet, or Buckeyes on their helmet, or even Hawkeyes on their helmet, they would have made it. But they had the interlocking IU on it, in my view. Uh, and we got, um, I would probably use your word, we got, you know, <laughs> you know, we got that. Um, and I think that the uh, Big Ten representation on the college football playoff, they do have a responsibility to do what they think is best. They also have a responsibility to advocate for the Big Ten. And I just don't think they did. And I thought we got jammed um, really hard. And, you know, there's all kinds of statistics about, you know, where we were in the rankings and what we'd done and all that. It seems to me we should have been in the New Year's Six. And so I was very unhappy about that and felt like we got dogged on that.
1: You talked about the good old boys' power structure in the Big Ten. And could you get into that a little bit and why they have a vested interest and not, Letting IU succeed.
0: Yeah. Let, let, let me round out the whole, uh, the whole um, uh, butt thumping that we got, uh, because <laughs> it didn't stop in the New Year's six. We should have been a laydown for the citrus bowl. Right. Um, and um, you know, a, 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 and as you know, Northwestern leaped over us to take the citrus bowl. And to me, that was an outrage. We were higher than them in the rankings. We were much better than them uh, in mutual opponents. You know, we shut out Michigan State for God's sakes, and Michigan State beat them. That alone, I think, should have been determinative. Um, but Jim Phillips, God love him, is a very effective guy, very plugged-in guy, and he worked overtime, which I don't blame him at all. But the conference should have been the circuit breaker to make sure that didn't happen. Um, and that really frustrated me. So so when we got the... Uh, 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 insult on the New Year's Six, exacerbated by the, the Citrus Bowl. Um, you know, I felt like I needed to say something because Scott couldn't and shouldn't. Right. Tom couldn't and shouldn't. But I was sort of uniquely positioned where I could. And, and, and so I did. Um, but it wasn't really to vet my spleen, although it, I will admit it felt kind of good. It, it, it was strategic <laughs> because I don't want it to be, you know, I, I sort of felt the CFP committee was saying Indiana's a cute story, right. isn't that cute? Those guys think they can play. That, that's that, that's kind of sweet, you know. I mean, right. that that and those are almost literally the comments of the chairman, which infuriated me. And I felt like something needed to be said. That no, this isn't right. We're not going to roll over. It's not good old Indiana, you know. Good old Indiana will understand. Like bullshit on that, you know. We 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 deserve the same consideration, especially after we we're a team player on the um, rule about how many games you got to play. Scott yeah. took the high road, we were a team player. We could have embarrassed them and done a lot of stuff we didn't and we shouldn't. But my concern was if we rolled again without saying anything, then we, then, then we were setting ourselves up to get rolled again down the, the road. And so, so I, you know, I spoke out and felt like I was in a position where I could.
2: You got to know a lot, all I would say, of the ADs in our conference in your time. How can I ask this somewhat diplomatically? Were you surprised that we got, to use your term, the butt thumping that we got, when Gary Barda was the most vocal representative of the conference in that scenario? Did that surprise you?
0: It disappointed me, but who benefited by us being out? Iowa State. If you're gonna make people mad, would you rather than be in your backyard or somebody else's backyard? I mean, I I thought it was calculated um, and that disappointed me.
2: How excited are you personally for our September 4th season opening game where we go to Iowa and play on the road against Iowa this year? Yeah, I'm excited. I mean,
0: I don't think it's a blood feud or anything like that, you know. Why Um, not? Let's make it one. I mean, that's fun. It's always tough in Kinnick, but we played well against the Hawkeyes and and, you know, we've got some great opportunities this upcoming season, that game, the Cincinnati game, other games. Um, and, and, and and to address the, the, the earlier question, um, I don't think these are bad guys that, say, wake up thinking, how can they screw Indiana today? You know, but the, 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 the power structure sort of takes care of itself. Not necessarily setting out to our detriment, maybe not at our detriment. Although I do think it's easier for them if IU in football, I use stinks and football, right? Saying, and you yeah, made I mean,
2: that point in your statement that there are those that don't want Indiana. They come into our backyard. Well, the truth is, the worst thing for a power structure is to welcome another player into the power structure.
0: Right, it, exactly. It, and I think there is a bit of that. I think it's like, okay, you guys, that's, that's nice. You guys have gotten this far, but let's don't get carried away because now you're starting to eat at my table. And of course, that's one of the things I love
3: that, that, that Tom is
0: eating some other people's lunches. That um, used to, uh, you know, just count us as a W and count us as a place where they could roll us on on recruiting. So I I, I made this statement. Actually, it was about the fifth draft It was a lot worse earlier, you know, <laughs> um, but um, but I think it needed to be uh, said. And and I'm, I'm glad I said it. I hope it um, has the impact of of the conference not feeling like we're just going to kind of sit back and take that kind of stuff. It certainly
2: had the impact on the fan base. I mean, yeah. I can tell you from talking to anyone that I spoke to, we were so desperate for someone to say something that was in a position that would be heard because obviously as fans, you just bitch and moan about everything. And so nobody listens to any of it. And we knew Scott really couldn't say anything, like you said, and Tom couldn't either. And and so when you did, it was this galvanizing moment, I think for the fan base that was truly... I know you want it to have long-term impact and, and I hope it does, but catharsis is important sometimes for a fan base. And we were, you know, vicariously living through your statement there. And it was really important, I think, for the fan base to say, damn it, like we have people who will stand up for us quietly and behind the scenes, but also vocally and in public. And it was good to know that the guy who was in the chair for the last 11 years was not ignoring what was happening. That was, that was really cool moment. I think for just Indiana athletics.
0: I appreciate that. I was, I was fortunate to be in that, in that position and, and, um, and, and I, uh, I thought it was the right thing to do. I didn't tell Scott or Tom I was going to do it because I didn't want to put them in a position of, uh, of, uh, of sort of approving it. And so I kind of held my breath to see what they're, uh, uh, reactions were, but um, it it needed to be said. Those guys needed to hear it, and and I think most of my uh, former colleagues understood understood it. You yeah.
1: know, well, well, that's good. You you gave them the plausible deniability. That's the lawyer in you coming out. Uh, <laughs> but I have to admit, it's just fun for us also be like, great, Fred Glass is unleashed. Here we go. <laughs> and, and since you made that statement, and the talent that's showing up in Bloomington now. They've all got to be terrified. So one way or another, he's going to eat their lunch.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think so. I think so. And I'm—I'm. Nobody will be more excited about that than uh, than me. Although there'll be a lot of people tied with me, probably.
2: That's right. Will we see you at some football games this year?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to going down and not worrying if the clock stops running or you know. (laughs) It's. I used to like to be on the road so much more at home because if something screws up at home, it's like on on me. Yeah. On the road, I could watch the game a little more and relax a little more. And so having no official responsibility will be, you know, super emancipating. My, my uh, grandkids like to go. and My kids like to go. And and, uh, and and the tailgates are one of my favorite parts. So I'll be able to stay out there a little longer than I was able to uh, before.
2: And you can finally drink something.
0: I'm not going to say I didn't a little bit before. <laughs> um, that would be disingenuous. Um, Fair enough. But, I, I won't have to regulate as much as I did before. So. <laughs> That's right.
2: You've given us way more time than you probably ever anticipated. We could do a whole other podcast episode with you, but I do want to sum up by saying we didn't get to Terry Moran, Todd Yagley, Steve Aird. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing the women's softball. John company. Stanton. Yeah, I Jeff mean, Mercer. Jeff. But, Mercer. Who's, but who's counting? Right. No. no, but but you know what we are, um, mm-hmm. and the foundation that you laid we we've had this conversation recently i've been a fan of indiana for 43 years you know there has never been a time at in indiana where there is this much success this many great coaches these amazing facilities across the board so we can have philosophical differences on 24 Sports Sports (laughs)
3: one
2: team. It's hard for me to even say, Fred. I understand. understand. Uh, But we can have philosophical differences. But I admire and respect that you lived by it. And Indiana is in much better shape because of it. We are in a golden age of Indiana athletics, in large part because of the decisions you made, because of your skill and the magic that you uh, applied behind the scenes to raise the money with the help of Scott Dolson and donors. But what is happening at Indiana is truly special. And as I look at your legacy, I look at that and go, it is remarkable. It is absolutely remarkable. I've never been more proud to be an alumnus of Indiana, to be a supporter of Indiana, and to see what's gonna happen in these next several years because the stage is set for unprecedented success. And we owe a lot of that to you, Fred. And. I I've never had the chance to thank you in person for it. And I wanted to after two hours of grilling you a little bit. Uh, but I really appreciate you coming on, taking all the the conversation on the criticism too. But uh, what you did at 11 and a half years at Indiana is remarkable. And as a fan, we uh, thank you for it.
0: Well, that's very, very generous. And I, I really appreciate it. It was a labor of love and I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity and, and uh, thanks for the opportunity today. It was fun to, you know, fun to go down memory lane a little bit.
1: Well, and you you called it a labor of love. And I I think that must have been what really won out and why Scott Dolson is in such a great position now to succeed. I hope he calls you, texts you every day to say thank you for making this job a lot easier for me at the beginning than it was for you. But we love the school so much. We're so passionate about it. And to know that you were in there building that foundation that we're all going to benefit from in the years to come it, it really meant a lot as you were doing it and will continue to and we hope to get back there in the fall and uh, into the winter and i'm sure you'll be making it down to some games and we'd love to to shake your hand and thank you in person
0: you're very very kind this has been very enjoyable and thanks so much for having me on i really do appreciate it
2: one last thing I'm not going to totally put you on the spot, but I am oh, no. I am running for trustee of Indiana. I'm not this, sure if
0: is you're Is this aware. A columbo? Is this the columbo yes. moment? Just one more thing. Who's your hysterics?
2: I'm not sure if you're aware, but I am running. I am on the ballot. You know that. Okay. I do. Now, I'm not going to ask you for your endorsement because that's just, you know, cheap and I don't want to put you on the spot. But is it fair to say that you are not not endorsing me?
0: Well, how how can you challenge that?
2: Right? (laughs) Yeah, see? Fred Glass is not not endorsing me for Board of Trustees. Fred, you're a good sport. We really appreciate it. And uh, good luck in whatever the next step is for you.
0: Um, I can't wait to find out what it is.
2: (laughs) Have fun with those grandkids.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
2: That was a guest. That was a guest. Really enjoyable conversation with a super uh, smart, uh, competent and and newly confident human being. That was surprising to me that that he grew up without confidence. I was uh, surprised by that. But I I look, I like a guy who owns what he does and he owns it. He does have a little swagger to him. I like when he takes shots at Dan Dokic and and other people (laughs) that critiqued him. And he's just got such a healthy perspective on what his time was at Indiana, what he was trying to do. And the dude was laser focused. This is my vision. I'm gonna go for it. You can disagree with me, but as long as I'm here, that's what we're doing. And I I respect it. I do. I have a greater respect for it than I even did before. I
1: did have an epiphany recently, you know, here in my 42nd year, that he seems to have uh, allowed him to to function uh, throughout his tenure with so much scrutiny and criticism of, I am not my job and to separate really it's about separating ego and being like yes that's this thing over here but it's not my identity it's not who i am and it's yeah how else do you survive as chief of staff for governor in indiana how else do you survive as the iuad but to me the biggest surprising thing is just how enjoyable He is to speak with and you you could see him look we wear everybody out eventually but especially when it got into the conversations of hiring and firing which i know because i'd read from before that's the toughest worst things that anybody really has to deal with particularly in that situation um but especially early on before we were getting into the muck and the mire of those Gut-wrenching decisions. I'm like, man, Fred is such a fun, good dude. I I guess because he was generally so kind of cool, calm, and collected, reserved in his public speaking. Um, with the exceptional uh, exception of like the the announcement of an extension or stuff like that. But it was always never about him. So just to be like, oh what a cool dude to hang out with. Like, I really do, you know, hope we get to see him down in Bloomington and just hang out at Nick's and talk about whatever, um, because I, I guess you look at him, he's the IUAD. And with Scott, having got to know Scott a little bit before he became the AD, it sort of took some of that Oh, away, but, it, but with Fred, I mean, I, and I didn't bring this up, but when I did meet him at the game, when coach Knight came back, what had immediately preceded that was I had accidentally tripped his wife.
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: And so I just kind of met him and I was like, this is the glass, hurts. you know, and he was very kind and cordial, but certainly not. We didn't have a conversation. And I'm like, oh, man, no, no wonder so many people wanted to keep him around and and ultimately put him in charge of stuff because he's a, a great communicator and good to be around.
2: But the same thing you're saying about him is what he was saying about when he went to Washington and saw all these Senate staffers, you know, or saw people. There's no magic. Right. They're just real people making decisions, hopefully making the best decision that they can make given the information. I I look at things a little differently than him. I do have regrets in life. I know a lot of people kind of have this, I do not regret because I would have made the same decision based on the information, but he owns his mistakes. You know, he moved on from them and and we didn't have to get into like pulling the players' names off the back of the jerseys in football because he brought it up, realized it was a mistake, reversed course. Um, I just, I, I, I do genuinely like him. I've always liked his style a little bit because I do think it's been this quiet, um, cockiness that I do like. I think it's a big job. The chair is big. We talked about the chair. The chair is big being the AD of Indiana, any major academic institution at that level, top level athletics, that's a big chair and his even keel approach, uh, I always appreciated, but I always got the sense that he was super competitive, always. Like mm-hmm. he wanted to win. Yeah. And we won some things and we won on some levels and on other levels, like he said, we didn't make it. And um, I just really appreciated like his perspective. I, I really liked him talking about the stress and pressure he felt going to games. And how, and, miserable and how that got worse. Yeah, and how miserable of an experience that became for him. And I remember seeing him across from us at the night game and just thinking like, oh, he's loving this like everybody else. But the truth is, I mean, he was enjoying that moment for sure, like he talked about. But the game itself, if as you, you know, remember well, was, was one of the nails in the coffin, truthfully, for the Archie Mer- Miller era. I mean a game against your arch rival where Bobby Knight comes back and we just totally laid an egg. And I'm sure he was feeling that again, it was his call to bring Archie in and hearing him say, that's the part of the job that I am just happy to be away from. Yeah. Um, You see, like there's just an ease about him and a peace about him being away from it. 11 and a half years in that job is rough. I mean, rough. That is, that is several tours of duty.
1: Yeah. And I think, though, he he laid out why he was able to endure that long, not just because of his principles and, and sticking to them, but this this sort of detachment, not only from how he views himself as a person and if he's a good person or not, but he he wasn't trying to get the next ad job it's you know if a politician goes into office saying this is the last office i'm ever running for you you, you're so empowered by whatever the criticism is fine it doesn't matter this is my last my last stop and for him to know that going in knowing he had barbara's blessing to get fired is like hey i'm gonna swing for the fences and and i loved what he said what evan by and well no he was actually referring to to herman wells and goethe which was you know dream big uh, dream big otherwise you're not going to stir people's souls and i'm i'm just you know when you look at the totality of the work look scott dolson has been killing it since he took the chair but there's absolutely no doubt that the moves he's been able to make were all made possible by what his predecessor did. And now we're all reaping the benefits and, and you and I and the goons and every other IU fan we've been talking to between Tom Allen, between coach Woodson and between, you know, Terry Morin and, and all the soccer's still killing it right now. It's just like everywhere you turn on pigs, you're like, Oh, Hey, this sport's doing great too. And that, that is. is the ultimate evidence of his tenure.
2: And just to, again, hit it, because I think it is important. Swimming and diving, swimming, he didn't have to make a, a coaching selection, but he kept supporting them. And they've been national champions. I mean, Lily King, you know, the, there's many of them, though. That, that has continued. Diving, he had to make a hire. And the diving team has as at the top of the game. Soccer, he had to make a hire. And soccer is back where it belongs as the best program in the country. He had yeah. and hired Todd Yeagley yeah. and back into tradition. Uh, football has never been better at Indiana. Women's basketball has never been better at Indiana. Baseball has never been better. I mean, it was really good with Tracy Smith, but this Mercer guy seems like we are going to be in the – we are going to be in the College World Series again maybe this year. Like, I mean –
1: and you know, oh man, we lost the guy to a baseball school. Uh, there's not the resources or the will around uh, the department to to keep a guy like that. Oh damn, you know, something we were worried even with Tom Allen to a certain extent, but then to identify the next man up and and for baseball not to miss a beat. It's like this is this is clicking on all cylinders.
2: Uh, yes, And then the other side of it is, look, the basketball, the decisions on the head coaches just haven't been the right ones. It didn't work out. But the infrastructure is there. The resources are there. The appetite to spend for the basketball program is there, which is why Mike Woodson is walking into such a better job than even Archie Miller walked into, truthfully, yeah. because more has been done over the last four years. The best part, besides him telling us that he got arrested, which is awesome, yeah. by yeah. far the best part is when he shit all over Ravi. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's by far the best part of the interview and there is we, no doubt about it
1: we didn't even get into McRobbie and uh, everything rabbi would have wanted us to say there but everything that has been set up for success money facilities it's all about if you have the right head coach and then it's almost impossible to know for sure you're getting the right guy. Maybe North Carolina with Roy Williams is as close as a, a home run hire you know you're making going into it. You know, and with Tom Allen, I think, well, there was an exceptional human being that was in his proximity and i think anybody who's got to be around tom allen at all now realizes why on paper that's not a slam dunk hire but when you actually look at it as an individual that was an amazing hire now we will have to see about coach woodson everything's going great so far, but that it is kind of crazy that in this huge operation and world that is Indiana athletics and specifically for the top of the football pro- program and the basketball program, it's just like, how do you know if it's the absolute right person at the right time in the right situation? You don't. Nobody ever does. rabbi loves to talk about the 80 down in Florida who hired like in like uh, Billy Donovan and Urban Meyer but then shit the bed with whoever was next for Florida football and Mike White we'll see I'm I'm not that impressed so far so it's really it's crazy how much work and decisions and day to day minutiae the guy did over a decade plus to ultimately have your tenure decided by like four people
2: right I really like Fred Glass Me I too I really like him and yeah. uh, I'm glad he came on the show and gave us over two hours. Uh, I think we were wearing him out. I thought maybe he was going to take a nap. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I don't think it was just about the time. I think it's still really hard for him to talk about things going awry with coaches. He, he, like he said, he had their back every step of the way until he didn't. And I think. It's not about regrets, it's just about being a human being who yeah, when, how hard
2: that is yeah. when you
1: have to let people go and and their their families and everything that's implicated in that decision that weighs on a good person, which he absolutely is
2: I also think he didn't look he's not a woe is me guy and he'll never be but the critique that he received throughout his career that seeps into his family he mentioned that, and I am sure that was extremely difficult to handle when your kids or your wife, you know, is feeling that and they take it personally because they don't have that kind of mechanism that he has that he's been forced to have with his career of detaching himself. They're not detaching themselves from the criticism. And so I, I give him credit for I mean, he represented Indiana athletics across the board about as well as you can represent them for 11 and a half years. I mean, he, he was a, a pillar of making sure that the people that we brought into the programs, all of the programs represented Indiana the right way. And when he thought they didn't, they were gone. And, um, and obviously I'm talking about some of the coaching decisions. Uh, he had to do it, you know, He had to do it with women's basketball and he had to do it with men's football. Um, men's football. There's no women's football yet. There's no powder puff team at Indiana. Um, so anyway, I'm just, I, I, I appreciate his transparency and his honesty and his, and his humor. I appreciate his sense of humor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That will, uh, I think that will be one that does pull that back that curtain a little bit I, I actually because when it was time to hire a new ad everybody was kind of going around being like well let's be honest we none of us really knows what's go, goes on in being an ad day day. It's, it's 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 this huge job but ultimately you gotta you gotta do one thing at a time each day um so we we didn't really get to go through sort of the day in the life of fred glass the ad because there were so many big picture huge decisions and moments to discuss um but i think knowing that that scott dolson was by his side for so much of this foundational tenure that we can feel more confident that what Scott is doing is is building off of that, a continuation of that with an upward trajectory. and And obviously we've seen evidence of that. And now we just really have to hope that everything about coach Woodson, we all believe and want to believe comes to fruition hopefully in the fall hopefully quickly so it just all stays this positive because right now there's it's the hot season but there's there's never been a better time to be an iu fan
2: in memory remember he didn't not endorse me that's right that's right (laughs) remember that all right we'll talk to you next week follow us on twitter at hoosier hysterics for the hysterics no e no i but, the but sometimes. The sometimes why. We got to vote for Eric. Man
1: for you and me. We all trust in Eric. Future trustee. If you want to see the candy stripe back in the promised land, you best just vote for Eric. No, 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 no. Cause who's your man?